Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. So, hello, everybody. This is episode 83 of the Galen Trombley Show. I have Ed Gunther here um, and uh, German. Yep. You said right, yeah. German so I, Polish, yeah. I kind of butchered his name, and they just said it is <laughs> Gunther without take the E out, and we have it. So we won't ask you for a spell check. But um, Ed, for people that don't know you, um, you're kind of one of those guys I don't know a total. I know a little bit. We've met before. We've mm-hmm. talked before. And then yep. I, I follow you, I think, I think on social media mm-hmm. somehow. And a lot of it's through our friend Scott Bright, mutual friend Scott Brightwell. But you do a lot of stuff with um, the telescopes and space and Footage and outdoor stuff. I think it's, I think it's yeah. all kind of cool stuff. Yeah. So, so people that don't know you, give us kind of background. Okay. Uh, my name's Ed Gunther. Uh, I have a uh, degree, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in uh, acting and directing and uh, stage design, uh, what we used to call the all-arounder degree from Central Michigan University. And basically what that degree gives you is the ability to do anything. It has a, uh, a minor built in in performance. Uh, I have some mime. Eek. Uh, it's a design for everything. I've worked in television, building television commercials. Uh, I've worked in uh, doing special effects uh, every Friday. Uh, my partner, well, we can talk about that later. My partner and I used to do something rude to the secretaries in the theater we worked in. Every Friday, one of us would die in a bloody fashion in the main offices of this not-for-profit we worked for. So then that was the kind of thing we do. We would build exploding rigs, uh, just building whatever. And a theater degree, uh, for those of you guys who are out doing theater, I know there's a lot of folks in town, uh, some very famous roadies in town here that tour with like Metallica and stuff. I mean, Plattsburgh is kind of a key for that. And I didn't move here for that. Uh, I moved here because my wife teaches at the university and I just pretty much lay my hand to whatever I can lay my hand to. So, so, so wait, so roadies, there's people here that, that are on the road with Metallica. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, let me see. There was a guy, I met a guy in Lowe's the other day and he was complaining about the fact that, uh, that he was totally name dropping and now I'm name dropping for him. Led Zeppelin, he was like, they kept canceling our tour. And it's like, well, you know, rock and roll equals death. You know, you can kind of do whatever you want. Wait, so Led Zeppelin was canceling what? The tour he their was on tours. with them? Yeah, yeah, their tours. So Was Metallica with them at the time? Uh, something, yeah. It was, oh, like opening it, me for Yeah, that? it was crazy. I was, I'm was i a theater guy, so I did I did theater tours, musical theater and stuff like that. Um I don't. I, I know a little bit of Metallica songs. Mm-hmm. I would really love to see Led Zeppelin in the yeah. heyday. That'd yeah. been one of the bands. If you had to go back in time and say who would you see, top five, maybe even arguably top three, yeah. Led Zeppelin would be up there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it was. I was more of a heart. <laughs> I was. I was more of a heart fan. I used to follow them around and uh, in you the see, late seventies. Concert? I did. Yeah. It, who, who's the two in the band? Like, uh, Ann and Nancy Wilson. Uh, okay. uh, Roger or Steve Fawson, Roger Fisher, and the drummer whose name nobody can remember. Um, yeah, because I mean, I grew up. So my, I'm not going to date my mom for anybody, but she basically <laughs> grew up with music in the 70s mm-hmm. and, and it was like kind of like the 70s, 80s, not so much. My, my knowledge of the 80s has really come in the last few years, yeah. which is crazy because yeah. it depends, you know, there's a gap and 90, late 90s. 
till today. I'd say honestly, not till today, till like 2010, 11. And then I kind of went in a hiatus where now I'm turning it to my parents and re-listening to the right. 90s and 2000s. So yep. my music in the last 10 years is like, there's nothing. I mean, there's there's yeah. a little bit, but I don't know a lot of the artists now where I still, on my playlist, have the same music I've listened to since I was like, 10, 12, 13. Oh, yeah. yeah. So and I, now I just, I get it. I think everybody does that. Uh, you just, my, yeah. You know, my kids know the song that was number one the week they were born. Uh, and other than that, they listen to my stuff. My son, for his senior recital, uh, he plays the cello, uh, played uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, on the cello. On the Amazing. cello. Yeah. You just flat out. And uh, my daughter, I keep playing... Uh, Neil Peart, I keep playing Rush for her when she was a teeny tiny little baby, and she's a percussionist now, and she just loves oh, beating us. Amazing, stuff, so, yeah. Uh, and that's and you're just you're kind of you're kind of stuck with that. My my family has deep generations. Uh, I was 38 when my kids were born, uh, quite by accident because my dad was 38 when I was born. So the music I grew up with was Glenn Miller, and to a lesser extent Barry Manilow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, yeah, thanks, mom. Uh, that was, uh, you know, that was kind of the thing. Uh, you're always, you're always kind of getting that five generations back. Uh, for modern music, I just, you can play any rap station out of Montreal or 99.9 The Buzz and you'll get everything for the last 20 years. Uh, Do you like that kind of music? It's okay. I can listen to it. Uh, yeah. I was a big fan of uh, The Offspring. Uh, and so yeah. they, you know, late nineties, yeah, late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was working at the ferry at that time and it was a lot of, uh, a lot of young folks people like in my age in the thirties and then a lot of kids just out of school, uh, coming for their first job. And so we got a lot of that stuff, the killers, yeah. uh, Franz Ferdinand, all that stuff. Oh, and it was yeah. just playing all the time. And so when I got a chance to control it, I would put in uh, electric lead orchestra or Bob Seger, Silver Silver Bullet yeah, Band, amazing. and just let it rip. So yeah, the uh, so do you play a musical instrument? I played cello when I was a kid. Yeah, do and, you still play it or uh, I play with my sons. Yeah, I I I don't really keep up on it. So to go like, did your son find the love of cello through you? I'm assuming there's some influence. Like, how does one get to the cello? Because cello is not really like a mainstream. It's not. It's it's like, not the first thing. I got the cello because I was very tall in fifth grade, and so uh, they said, "Oh, we need a cello." And this guy's tall enough; he can he can play the cello. Uh, since sixth grade, I haven't grown. I'm six foot and a half inch. I was six foot and a half inch in sixth grade, uh, and wow. I weighed 130 pounds. I look like a parking meter. Wow! Uh, but that was it. Here, you're going to hold the cello. And for my son, he wanted the big instrument. He was a big kid too. Yep. And uh, he wanted the big instrument. And the district, the school district at the time, only had one standing bass. Okay. And the kid that was ahead of him got the standing bass. So okay. he couldn't play the standing bass. He's like, well, I'll play the cello then. Uh, and my daughter wanted to play the cello. Uh, my wife played the cello too in school, oddly enough. Uh, we don't have a lot of cello music around the house, but uh, my daughter wanted to play the cello and my wife just totally cut it off. Uh, that's Dr. Wendy Gordon over at, the, over at SUNY Plattsburgh. I got to throw her name in there. There you go. Yep. Good um, plug. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good husband move. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. We had, a, <laughs> we had a small car and the four of us taking the kids to school, two cellos wasn't on. So Viv got stuck with the violin, which she absolutely hated. And as soon as she could get rid of that and go to drums, she did it. So, so how long has she been a drummer for? Oh, that probably she seventh young, grade. Like... Uh, well, she just went to school. She's at Oswego, SUNY Oswego. Oh, cool. Okay, Just cool. started this week. Yeah. Uh, and hanging out with a lot of people in her dorm from New York City. 
She says it's it's we talk about Plattsburgh being a city dad, but it's not. So uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. It's uh, she's she's it's an experience for her. So are you an empty nester now? Uh, well, technically, my son is back up. His uh, he's doing international relations at uh, New Paltz, and if he doesn't have a lab, they don't want him down there. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, we're set up for distance learning at our house. Uh, my wife teaches from the house. He does classes from the house. So um, so I'm on the opposite end. I have two young children. Mm-hmm. So it's like. Knowing like the, it's kind of funny, like the, the freedom and time you had yep. <laughs> three years ago and beyond. And then, then also looking at you where I'm like, you're kind of getting that back slightly. Mm-hmm. And then it's like all the, the 18 years in between. That's just, yep. or more obviously with multiple kids. Yeah. It'd be 20 plus years. Yeah. There it's, it's exciting because now you can talk, how old are your kids? Two and a half and one. So like, luggage. We used to call that the luggage stage. Yeah. You, know, you carry oh, them just yeah. like you carry a roadie bag. Yeah. Uh, and now they're interesting and, and they can talk to you and talk at you. And so that's, I'm really happy for this. If I had to do it again, I would have done it. I would have had my kids in my 20s uh, just was, just to have the, the energy. So I was 28. So you said mm-hmm. 38. So yep. that's, um, but yeah, it was, it's, it's kind of, and again, I don't wish the time away at all, but no, I'm always no. like, there's always times where you're thinking, you're like, oh my God, like. I had so much time and didn't realize how much time I had. And now, <laughs> now I'm still like doing stuff. Like you just kind of get forced. It's like cramming mm-hmm. for a task or whatever and like procrastinating. And then it's like, you got to get it done tonight. That's yep. like every day of my life. It's like, just got to get it done because you don't yeah. you know, wake up or they want to play or you put in a bed mm-hmm. late and it's like, well, but well, and you work hard. I, you know, I, I, I met you because I blind called your phone number off a of real estate site. <laughs> I don't know, can I say that here? Are we sponsored? No, by, you okay, can, you right, can say that. We're, we're sponsored, sponsored by, by uh, Cabinet Realty and, and uh, Wood, Woodland Art. <laughs> Excellent. Woodland Art, right, Hannah? Yep. Okay. Is that it? Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, uh, that's how we met. And I just blind called you, and you've been, I, and that was four years ago. It's been a while. And yeah, yeah. we haven't been able to do the deal just for whatever reason, and it just hasn't lined up right. We've been close, yeah. but you're just working all the time. Yeah, the thing with real estate, it, it real estate's a process, and I always. A lot of people will be like, I don't want you to waste your time. And I'm like, listen, I don't ex- I'm not serving you. I used to serve ice cream back in the day. Mm-hmm. I knew if you walked mm-hmm. to the, the window, you were getting an ice cream. Like yep. real estate, there's not that expectation. Like it, you might buy something, you might yep. not. But I said, the only way you're ever going to, because we just we talked about it before. Like you're only, mm-hmm. wait, you got you to gotta shoot your shot. Like if you want right. to make, you want real estate, you want a house, you want land, whatever. Mm-hmm. You got to be at least in the process. Our, our theme today of this bug in hand earlier is called in the mix, meaning you got to be making stuff happen. So right. if you're not, if you're just, you want to buy a property and you're not actively looking for a property, you'll never buy a property. So right. it takes time. It's when it process. pops up, it does. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so every four or five months, you and I would make contact and, uh, I usually shoot you a message a few times a year. And like I said, yeah. it's usually just keep looking I'm like, Hey, that's fine. That's we'd perfect. Have, we'd it, have a great time. It's, it's yeah. yeah. So we, uh, so a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about because mm-hmm. you're, you're very, um, we'll get to the musical theater thing. I didn't know about the theater stuff, but I have a little, when I say background in musical theater, mm-hmm. I was the stagehand that moved stuff. I get it. That was me. But oh, yeah. okay. So That's we, right, we yeah. actually yeah. might have a, we might have a lot. And you, you mm-hmm. obviously did, actually we'll, we'll talk about that now. So you, theater theater degree. You go to Central Michigan. You get a theater degree. Yep. What was your intention with the degree? What did you mm-hmm. want to do? What were your aspirations? What did you end up doing? And are you still involved or still love? The theater. I do still love the theater. Uh, having a theater background, you know, it it ruins you for watching movies. <laughs> it ruins you for watching musicals because you're like, well, I would have done that differently, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in the design program, I got into the design program. 
I was a military science guy. I was recruited uh, by U.S. Army ROTC. Uh, they paid for all my books the first two years I was at school with the expectation that I would be an Army officer. Uh, and while I was in high school, I just, whenever uh, plays would come into our theater, like ballet companies and stuff, I would run the light board. And it was, this was before the computer controlled light boards. So it was all big cranking levers. Oh, wow. uh, and you'd climb up on, you'd climb up on the board and be working two hands and your chin and a leg to make these things happen. Uh, big transformers and stuff. And I loved doing that just for fun. And so I was doing it for fun while I was doing my Army ROTC. And this was high school? This, from high school. And then I got the scholarship to go into ROTC in college. Okay. And uh, at the end of my first year in college, I met a guy named Tom Howley, who is uh, who's still keep in touch. He's the uh, technical director for Theater J in Washington, D.C. He's still doing it after 35 years. Um, and he and I... Uh, he, he said, I need a roommate coming over and live with me. And I went over and we were kind of talking and, and I had my uniforms and everything. And he's like, so what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I want to kind of want to be in the army. This is 1981. And, uh, and he goes, yeah, well, Hey, if you got some free time this weekend, why don't you come down and help me with a play? And I said, yeah, I used to help with plays. So I'll go down and help with the plays. And then, uh, I'm censoring a little bit. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's actually it's considered uncensored on our things. So uncensored, okay, great. All right, say so, whatever you want. So uncensored. You got colorful language. Go ahead. There, well, there you go. No, it, it isn't that so much as it was uh, a, a, an actress, uh, a background actress uh, who liked leopard print cat suits. I'm shallow. I was 18 years old. Never. I came from a came Deal. from a logging town. Had no idea. And this girl just thought I was great uh, because I wore flannel shirts. And <laughs> then I said, well, so I started doing theater and military science, and then. Uh, the army, uh, the army guys, our sergeant major that ran our cadre. There's like 20 officers and uh, and soldiers that run the group for 100, 100 plus kids uh, doing army ROTC. Uh, sergeant Major Guy Cantu, his name was. He posed as a missionary in uh, Cambodia during the Vietnam War. This guy was all that and a side order fries. He was an amazing guy, amazing stories. And he came to me one day and he said, "I understand you want to have a theater minor, and you want to be in the army." And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, history minor? I said, eh, I know history. I don't need history. He goes, uh, how about uh, uh, engineering My engineering with a theater minor? No, no, that's not it. I've got the theater minor and ROTC. And he goes, there's one guy, one officer in all of the U.S. Army in 1981 that's involved with the theater. And he's the guy who is the advisor for MASH, the television show. Uh -huh. And he goes, so, Ed, you don't have a job if you do that. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, here's Patty waiting for me outside the building in her leopard skin cat suit, and I'm shallow. And it's it's pre-AIDS, it's post-Grenada, it's pre-Panama. There's really no reason for us to have an army at that point. We were really downsizing. And I said, you know, I'm going to go this way. Sergeant Major. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're making a mistake. He called me back. It was like two months before I went to basic camp. And my dad is like, no. And I had a, a cousin who was a Top Gun pilot. And they're like, no, you got to be kidding me. What are you doing? The damn leopard suit, man. Yeah, yeah. The, it was the leopard cat suit. I'll admit it. I'm, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm, you're an 18-year-old boy. It made sense. Yeah. I sound proud. I'm not, I wasn't really proud of that decision because all the guys I was in ROTC with, they're all retired now. Uh, they like own drone companies and, and stuff like this. And they're all great guys. And we still keep in touch. But it just wasn't for me. So I shifted over uh, I shifted over to theater full time. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah so, it's crazy. And you so, never know where you're going to end up. So what was your like? What was the aspiration? Like when you went uh, to theater? Uh, I mean, did you, you obviously didn't have much of a plan besides Miss, miss keep, keep meeting Capsule. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep meeting uh, ladies in leopard skin pants. No, it, it wasn't that. I just, the, the, the endorphins, you get a rush 
when you're doing production, you know, when something goes off, uh, when a play goes off or the, the perfect light cue where you use like a finger and a thumb and you make the lights fade up like a sunrise for 45 or 50 seconds. It's just the, oh, I got goosebumps. Uh, it's just that rush that you get in your head for doing something hard well and then nobody even realizes what happened. So, so, um, and this was all, you were all backstage, right? Production. Yep. So yep. it wasn't like you were I, acting. I did some same. acting. I did some acting. Yeah. So the, uh, have you done anything with Shazy Music Theater? I have not. Or do you know of them? I know a lot of people up there. Yeah. Okay. So like I, I started when I was like 15 doing that mm-hmm. and I did it for about 10 years and mm-hmm. all backstage. Yep. I think I was on stage besides moving stuff. I think we went on like one time ever to take a bow for some reason or like we want the production on the last yeah. show to take a bow. So whatever. Yeah. So the experience is pretty cool. I mean, the, especially the early stages, I, I, I say got into it. I was into it in the sense that, like you said, I like the AI. My favorite thing is you showed up a few weeks before the, the mm-hmm. final production when you're kind of fine-tuning everything and really adding yep. the props in and the set. And it always felt really cool when you first got there and you had no clue what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> I knew the name of the play, and that's about all I knew. Mm-hmm. One year we did Beauty and the Beast, which I think was like the only time I knew – the storyline of a play before the play started. And we did, right. we did some really cool, um, some like, yeah, did, they do high end stuff up there. Yeah. We did yeah. like Chicago and uh-huh. I didn't know this background of Chicago. Chicago's a great play yeah. and the movie's phenomenal and everything. But again, going into it, I don't know all the scenes very well. And mm-hmm. it was really cool to go from completely green, not knowing a thing mm-hmm. and trying to figure everything out until the point. And I got, I have a very like puzzle kind of mind. Like I like right. figuring out like challenging situations or whatever. So, yep. It was always cool when you let up and you were like almost to showtime in the last like two or three days. Like we got it. Like I had the movements. I know where to position stuff. And it was small. It was small, small stuff and nobody would care. Right. But Except it, you. Except me. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it was me and like the couple of the people backstage. But it was like, listen, because when you're backstage on a play like that, you have all these, you know, actors and actresses that work for months and months and months to get it dialed down. Yeah. I come in at the very end, yeah. barely have any involvement, very, very little time committed to this thing besides a few right. weeks. The last thing I want to do is screw it up because this guy comes in at the end and just makes a mockery of the thing. So, well, so a lot of actors it, feel that way. Technicians do not. So, well, I, I it's yeah, I guess, and some of them always said it was weird. Like I couldn't do what you do. The actors mm-hmm. and actors saying that to us, and I was, I'm like, I, there's no way in heck I'm going out there and singing on stage. But I like the backstage aspect. But I, right. I liked being able to help those people have a platform to do what they love doing. But then a lot of people in the community liked it too. So I'm like, the last thing I want to do is go screw it up. So I took a lot of pride in making sure that the transitions were smooth, that we were very organized, that I was, you know, I'm kind of one, like once the, once the sets are done, how can we logistically move it out from the wings and get right. more space? And as the show went on, we had more space back there, which was kind of a cool feeling because you're cramped yeah. at the start of the, oh, yeah. start of the set. And it's like, it was like a Jenga game the whole night because yep. you're just moving pieces around. But it was fun. And, and mm. there's some, I mean... I only did the local stuff up here, but there's some talented people locally yes. that, that do these plays and you don't even, some of them have backgrounds, some of them don't. You ask mm-hmm. them like, what are you doing? And find out they're like, pick a random job. And right. they have this phenomenal voice, great personality, good mm-hmm. actors, um, you know, timing, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of the folks I work with uh, now uh, do stuff up there. Uh, and there's a couple in particular that they did Little Shop of Horrors last year. Okay, cool. And uh, they did, uh, no, not Little Shop of Horrors. That was a couple of years ago. They did uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, there you go. And so one of the, one of the women I work with uh, in one of our departments said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing Columbia. You don't know who that is. And I said, you guys are doing, you know, you're, you're doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And she goes, yeah. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, their, their rehearsals and everything was just punching. And it's just people 
here who have that love and they want to do it. Yeah. And that's, I've always been attracted to things like that. Even the army to a greater or lesser extent, it was something that appealed to me because the job was difficult and needed to be done, you Mm -hmm. know? And that's, and that's why I love backstage so much. Uh, every time I got on stage, it was, it was a factor of that. It was like, Oh, we have a hole here. We need a guy who's wearing an army uniform that can push a sand dune. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's me. So are you still involved with theater at all? Uh, just with my kids, uh, and, uh, up until the like fifth, sixth grade, uh, and then they didn't want me to be involved because they knew that, uh, I met my wife on tour, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, she was the electrician, and I was the uh, I was this carpenter for the uh, tour of Sweet Charity, and we went all over the country. We stayed in eighty five of eighty six Motel Sixes. At the time, there were eighty six Motel Sixes, and we stayed in eighty five of them in the course of this tour. We, wow! Yeah, the, our our thought as the crew was that we only booked theaters that were near Motel Sixes. Uh, that was kind of the whole idea for our bosses. Uh, but the nice thing about that is you roll in there two o'clock in the morning, and you know where the shower is. You know, it's that's yeah. an advantage. But it's that kind of a thing. And so my kids grew up hearing stories like that, and they were doing plays uh, in elementary school, and uh, they then they kind of got out of it. I mean, we helped. But they uh, they didn't want us kind of in there because they knew what our stuff was and they were trying to define themselves. You yeah. Know? Uh, if uh, they did a Percy, you know, the Percy Jackson novels, right? They the I demi the, the demi the Greek demigods. They did a uh, Mary and Jill Fortin were at yeah. Momot when I was there. Yeah. And you so know, they, they were, were very involved in Chasey. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and so that was they did a lot of stuff like that. And so I they're like, hey, I've got this problem, and I'd say, well, here, and uh, this is how I'd fix this problem, and like make swords appear out of nowhere, uh, and just do stuff. But it was nice. It was nice to be able to do that and to donate that. But by the time my kids were in high school, they didn't want me around Mm -hmm. because they're like, no, no, we know you're going to be looking at what we're doing. It's like, no, I just want to see the show. And they're like, no, Uh, Wendy, my wife is able to help them with the lights. But they're like, we don't want you on the set, Dad, because we know what you were like when you're on set. Uh, And they went wrong. You know, it's it's, it's, well, it's different. You want to in in high school, you want to be your own person, right? You don't want to. I'm assuming. Yeah. Tougher for kids in the sense, like you said, they're trying to. You bet. There's a little bit of distance between mom and dad, and they try to you know do mm-hmm. their own thing. And I think it, I think it comes back around typically when you're finishing up college, going into your mid twenties. I think yep. you come back to your parents a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You, you got There's there's probably a good five, four or five year run of maybe a little more in the high school, maybe six, seven. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting that. Do you know uh, Ben Wright? Uh, ben Wright is the technical director at, at the SUNY Plattsburgh. I don't know. Uh, Kim Hartshorn is the is the designer there and has been forever. And, uh, and Wendy, my wife is in the history department and she's the chair of the uh, criminal justice department. Uh, and when she first came to town, uh, Kim, who's a union stagehand and he's toured all over the place and he's the designer here. He designs for Pendragon theater up in Saranac Lake. Uh, he wanted, he, he needed some help because they didn't have a technical director and they were doing anything goes. Oh, and he, yeah, it's a fantastic play. Yeah. And so Kim, uh, Wendy's like, Kim's looking for help. And I said, okay, I can do that. You know, I'd been a technical director on tours and stuff and I was kind of, wasn't doing that anymore, but, uh, and I'll go down and talk to him. And and he said, yeah, I've got to, I've got to open the show. Uh, anything goes, it takes place in a cruise ship, Mm -hmm. lots of art deco details. And so he shows me a, a picture of front elevation drawn on a computer, uh, and this is 1998, so very early computer-assisted design, just line drawings. And he goes, here, this is what we're going to build. Uh, this is cantilevered, this is steel, this is eight feet off the floor, and I'm sketching on the drawing, and I say, uh, great, uh, so do you have any construction drawings? And he goes, oh, I haven't had time, because he's a college professor. He goes, I figured you'd do that. I'm like, okay, um, when do we go up? He goes, 21 days. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, looked at him. I looked oh. at him. And I said, "Okay, all right." So we did the show in 21 days. 
but Whoa. it's that's a nightmare. You're, I mean, oh, you're, boy. you're using your pancreas to hammer nails. I mean, every part of your body is just shot by the time you're done. And it was a beautiful show, and it went off. Wow, that's and fast. yeah, it was it was it was fast. And uh, and at that time, I was looking for work around here, and uh, I applied at the ferry company because it looks like a great job in the summertime. And the day before Kim called me up to offer me a full-time job with the university Mm -hmm. as a technical director, which I'd been doing for 15 years in various places, uh, the ferry company said, yeah, we'll we'll take you on. And, uh, you know, if you do this for X amount of days and you do this, uh, you can get your captain's license and drive the boats. And so when Kim offered me the job, I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know. Uh, You know, I'm just, I'm going to do this thing. I've been doing that. I kind of want to do something else. And then they hired this guy out of Vermont that I met on the ferry every day, Ben Wright, and he's been doing it ever since. And he is phenomenal. Wow. Uh, it was a better choice for them. Yeah. It was a better choice for them. I got I, I lost a pancreas to the theater and I gained a wife. That's so it's a zero sum for me. Uh, but that's that's a hard life. Uh, it's it's a hard life. And the older uh, a technician gets, uh, the people you work for get younger and younger. Stage managers are all mid twenties and you, yeah. Yeah. You know, by the time you're forty, you're dead. Uh, basically, so, so what? Like from from like plays. Which mm-hmm. plays did did you do? And like which plays? I guess either ones you did or didn't do that are like mm-hmm. your favorite ones. Um, I did the Music Man four times in yeah. in various locations, and uh, the theater's saying that there's four. There's three things you don't want on stage, right? You don't want kids. You don't want fire. You don't want pets. And music, all, Man, right? music man's got them all, yeah. and he's got them all. Yep. And uh, music man is a is a great show. And by the time I was, I did the fourth time. I'm like, I could do this forever. And people are like, Great, we don't want to do it. Uh, so I love the music man. Uh, every so often, I go on and be one of the salesmen on the train uh, for a role. So I love the music man. Um, I think probably the most fun I had on stage was in a show called Death Takes a Holiday. Uh, and it's yeah, and it's a it's a oh there's a it's a Alec Guinness did it it's a, um well uh, Mr Black uh, Brad Pitt plays Death and has to okay. and Anthony Hopkins is is going to die and then Death falls in love with Anthony Hopkins's daughter and can't kill him so it's this kind of a thing a guy somehow manages to trap Death in the apple tree in his backyard. Uh, this that's the is this death. a movie or this play? Is, well this is the play and then it becomes a movie okay um, yeah me, me, Joe Black maybe I, I think uh, Scott would definitely know yeah um, and so the, my favorite part of that show was I was a technician so I was moving senior and everything else and then they needed a guy to come on and be uh, the head of the sanitarium. Uh, who was going to take away this guy who said he had death trapped up in his apple tree. And so that was me. And I came in and we do this kind of psychodrama for a couple of minutes. And the guy says, I'll prove you I had death in that tree. And I'm like, how are you going to do that, Tom? And he shoots me dead. So and is, yeah. So is this kind of like a mixture of like Garden of Eden? Yeah. Like kind yeah. of like a... It's, it's yeah. The, the, the whole idea is what do you do if you live forever? Um, in, in the instance of the play, it's if uh, nobody ever dies what happens to life you know all of this you know it's it's tough i've, I've heard that like well, usually um you know people say it kind of in jest mm-hmm. but the idea like like if you could never die is mm-hmm. that more is that something that if like you could never ever die mm-hmm. is that a good thing or a bad thing yeah and that's always like what people think about because like you, most people fear death yeah which is natural because it's the unknown after the fact but then like what mm-hmm. happens if the unknown after the fact is great yeah but then you can never die and actually experience that Yep, and that's kind of like the like the trippy thing because it's like, wait, you wouldn't want it, but then you're like, okay, I get it. Like if you just live yeah. and live and live mm-hmm. and and think about life gets worse and worse and worse if it doesn't get better, and you're yeah. like, well, this is, I loved it in year two thousand twenty in the next hundred years, but <laughs> right. then it got really bad. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, and and think like about the it. Dinosaurs think came of, back or something, yeah, and it's like, think I'm, about the lines for the grocery store. 
You know, if nobody ever dies, there's five times as many people in the grocery next year. Well, well so that's kind of a glib well, way the, of putting it. What's well, the whole idea of like overpopulation? Like, if, mm-hmm. if, you got to think. I mean, compoundly, people are producing more humans than people are dying each day. Right. And like overall, the the world population has never gone down. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's places that have never been touched. Right. But it's still the same. The the idea that like. Some of these major cities, can they have more people? Mm-hmm. Then more people, more like more people, more problems, more than yeah. things start shifting. And then you start seeing probably cities develop in rural areas because yeah. they have to by, you know, just necessity. They have to. Yeah. Urban sprawl. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of the idea is there, is there such thing as like an overpopulation where just like resources on, on the earth can't, and then you're talking like when people say we have all this food and stuff that you do now, but mm-hmm. you know, a thousand years from now, are you going to have enough food when there's, you know. 50 billion people on the planet. Right. And that's the idea. It's like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. Yeah. Well, and let's, we'll stay out of horror and we'll stay out of politics for a moment. Yeah. But the situation we're in right now is not that unusual historically where something comes in. Like and a pandemic. There's, yeah. There's a, there's a percentage of people that just go, you know, Malthus talked about this where the more healthy people were, the more people who lived and eventually there would be a dying off. Mm-hmm. And he used rats as an example. Um, and I'm not saying that we are rats and I don't want to die. Uh, but you know, we're fighting this pandemic now on all these fronts and all we're trying to do is make sure that people get sick slow enough. So yeah. that our so that our doctors can can help us yeah. when we're sick, and that's and that's it's just slowing it down. And all the politics aside, you know, yeah, uh, you and I it's, were wearing masks. We sanitized when we met. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's, you know. I mean, it's all like, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy mm-hmm. time right now. I mean, yeah. it's you got to think like things happen. Obviously, a pan, they haven't had a pandemic in what hundred years was yeah. the, the yeah. Spanish uh, flu. The they Spanish, it? the Spanish influenza, yeah, Their influenza. Like so, mm-hmm. I mean, which I found out wasn't actually. They thought it came from Spain. That's all yeah. they called it. It wasn't actually a Spanish. They were blaming the Spaniards. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was actually like the U.S. got hit and it was, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think there was really a reason why it was Spain. But the Kansas plague. Well, Spain didn't publish their death numbers. That's, that's, that was it. Yes. Everybody else was talking about, oh my gosh, this is happening. And Spain was saying nothing. Yeah, you're uh, right. Yeah. And, and so that, I mean, what are you going to do with that? So I got to go back to the dead guy for a minute. Go ahead. When, once, I learned, once I learned how to be the dead guy. So I got shot. I come on for three minutes. I get shot. I lie on the floor for 41 minutes while the scene is playing out around me and I'm not moving and I'm dead and they drag me off and my toes are dragging behind me on the floor. And that's that for me, I loved that because there's no lines really. You had to learn some lines, but then you just took a nap on stage until they dragged your body off. So what did you do? Just, did you fall asleep? Uh, they, they shot me and I fell so limp that somebody got up out of the, audi- of the chair in the audience. They were going to come help me. They thought I'd actually had an accident. Uh, and so, yeah, I took a nap. Uh, and then after that, I did a show called The Real Inspector Hound and I start to play asleep and I don't get up until the curtain call. And when I hop up, everybody in the audience freaks out. I'm just, I'm laying there. I'm a dead body under the couch and people can see me and I'm not moving for 78 minutes. Um, wait, so you're under the couch. <laughs> yeah. I was under the couch and you could see underneath the couch and the legs and every so often somebody would roll a table into my head or something. And I just was laying on the floor. Uh, and we did that on so tour. So they thought it was like a mannequin the whole yeah, time. Yeah. They thought it was a mannequin. And then when you jump up, they're like, Oh my God. Uh, the only role I ever played where I didn't have to die is, uh, in a, uh, a play called the fantastics, uh, which was the longest running show on Broadway for years. Uh, there's a guy called Mortimer and he's the assistant to the great actor who's hired to do this scene, uh, for the, the leads. And, uh, Mortimer is the man who dies a lot. And his specialty, uh, is being shot or stabbed or run over by a horse. And his, he dies like seven times during the show. And I never got a chance to play it. I was in the crew, but I never had a chance to play that part. Wait, so the other thing, <laughs> back, well, back, back up to like, sure. When, when you're, and I know this sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. I, 
my mind just got blown when you just said I played a dead guy for like yeah. time, and I'm just sitting there I'm like that's that's got to be the hardest thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Because you just, I mean, you don't do anything, but not to do it like. I don't know if I could just sit mm-hmm. and not do anything for an extended period of time besides sleeping in the middle of the night. Yeah, I'm I'm dangerous when I just have a chance to just think. Like my wife hates it when I stand when I go canoeing all day and I come home and the wind has just been blowing through my ears. Yeah, and so all these things are coming out of my head. She goes, "I hate that," and I go, "That's it's meditation for me." So you, that's what I do. So yesterday I took the whole morning off and I mm-hmm. literally sat. This is all I did all morning. I sat phone off and sat with a piece of paper, notepad, and just mm-hmm. wrote. Yeah. And just jotted down stuff, things I was thinking about, things that need to be done, mostly, you know, functioning around the business. But like, like just the times to completely check out and think mm-hmm. is one of the, like when people, like you said, going for a kayak, you mm-hmm. know, or going for a paddle on a kayak, like that, um, Hannah's in the background. I'm going to pick on her again, but like, um, you should come up here and run, see it, Hannah running, grab a microphone. You know? She's, She's been actually. She hasn't done a solo podcast. I told her when she got her license, we would do one, and that's been a while. So we'll, we'll get her on. We'll, she's getting there. We'll fill her in the gap. She'll she'll do it. Um, but the uh, like, she goes for runs. Like I'm mm-hmm. sure when she's running, it's like she just gets to mentally think and like yep. I, car rides, long mm-hmm. car rides. Like I I love long car rides that I can't turn my phone off because I just daydream and I can right. just drive and coast and like mm-hmm. that's which is kind of funky because you're paying attention but yeah. you're not. No, you're yeah, you're just kind of in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I. Or even like taking a shower mm-hmm. or um, mowing the lawn, like just mm-hmm. things where it's just, just because I live in a world where there's a million things going on all day long and my mind's racing a mile a minute. And it's just like, I just love when things slow down and you can relax and just yeah. think. And there's, it, there's a lot going on in your head though. There, it's just, it's not, it's nothing out here. It's all in your head and that's great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, but it, it, like you said, it's therapeutic. It's mm-hmm. therapeutic just to sit and think and you know, going for a walk and not having to like just it's the simple act of going for a walk with no distractions is just yeah. so peaceful. So yeah. like when you obviously you're a big outdoor fanatic, mm-hmm. right? You like going yeah. outside and Absolutely. stuff. So, yeah. um, so where did that fascination come from? I know you said you did some stuff with the boy scouts. Yep. I, and, my, my son was a cub scout and that was another one of those things where he didn't want me to be involved in cub scouts. And then when he became a boy scout, mm-hmm. uh, he said, yeah, dad, um, why don't you be a leader? And I'm like, okay. And I was, and the, the gentleman I work for, Greg Dolan, at uh, the adventure program, uh, he was our cub master, and he became the scout master. And so he said, yeah, here, Ed, this is how you train. And so I did the training, and I got the training in. And the next meeting I go to, my son is there, and he's got this bright red and white patch on his uniform I've never seen before. And I said, what's that for? And he goes, oh, that's for getting an adult to sign up as a leader. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, fine. But I, I did that for 10 years with him. Uh, we, had, we had a great time doing that. Uh, but for me, uh, I came from a hunting fishing family. You know, my, my aunts and uncles and my dad were all born in the Depression, uh, 25 to 1925, 1930. Uh, they hunted to live. Uh, you know, the game, a game of all sorts was part of their, was part of their, their food source. And so from a very early age, uh, we were always outside and that's kind of where I got Is this it. Michigan? Yeah. You, in Michigan. Cause mm-hmm. I th- you think you told me that when yep. we first met, um, mm-hmm. do you know Ryan Lee at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's Ryan's over there now. Huh? Isn't he going over there now? Chris Harloff. I know Ryan Lee and Chris Harloff and Chris is over in Michigan now. Well, no, no. Ryan so. Lee did the, was the Boy Scout yep. for many yep. years. No, right. No, he's in the area mm-hmm. locally, but he, yep. uh, he's a good friend of mine. So yep. he, I knew he did the, he was the executive director, I think mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, yep. I say for, long time, but for our like district. Yeah. A couple years mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, um, absolutely. He was good. Yeah. So, I mean, he was an Eagle Scout and did mm-hmm. all this stuff and yep. he's, he's one of those guys that he's a very like very smart in tune kind of person where mm-hmm. like if you were like, Hey, listen, you'd be stuck out for a night. 
He'd be kind of one of those guys. Be like, yeah, if I could grab a couple guys, like honestly, yeah. you sound like a good one. Brightwell sounds like a great one. Mm-hmm. Ryan sounds like a good one. I got another buddy, Adam, who's just like, yeah, Adam Crossley. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know Adam. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Adam. yeah. So yeah, he's one of my Cub Scout parents. Okay, when I was yeah. A Cub so Scout leader, so yeah. Adam is about as hillbilly as they come. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't notice it if you saw him day to day, but then like if you knew the real Adam, he is like a true. Yeah. He redneck. dresses up nice, but yeah, he's, he's a backwoods a, guy. He's a redneck at heart for sure. And we, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. We go skiing in the winter with each mm-hmm. other, and then um, yeah, so he, he's. Those are kind of like my my apocalypse wood people. That's that your be, go-to. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that'd be a fair. It's, that's a fair posse right there. I, I think, think that I think, works. I mean, I'd be dead weight, but I think we could <laughs> get there. I always tell people I, that I, I have carry. So I can like rock up the mountain if I had to. Right. Yeah. So, well, it's a lot of my friends will do that, and they'll say, "Ed, you know all this stuff, and you got it." And I say, "Well, I'm a handicap because I'm a diabetic. All right. So you got to keep me alive if you want to use my knowledge." And they're like, "Oh, okay. All right." So they make that deal um, so, yeah. because it's it's just it's just being out in the woods is being out in the woods. Uh, so you do a lot of hiking? Yeah, a lot of hiking, a lot of paddling. So, I mean, obviously, like like the canoeing, the paddling, and, and, and obviously moving up here is a phenomenal spot for that. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. Is this the best place you've ever lived for that type of stuff, or uh, is Michigan yeah, pretty good? This Well, Michigan was great because you anywhere you're within an hour of anything you want except mm-hmm. mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a score because uh, my wife was finishing up her degree, finishing up her Ph.D., and she always lived in northern Utah. Uh, her family were like the one non-Mormon family in their entire community. Uh, her dad worked for NASA as a as a writer, a grant writer, uh, and they just kind of they were just kind of outside that mold. And she wanted mountains. And after living in Michigan for five years, uh, which is just flat, it's flat. You when you see the weather in Wisconsin, you know what the weather is going to be in Michigan the next day. It's that's just the way it is. And she said, "I need mountains." And I'm like, "Geez, I don't know. We've been together for four years. I need lakes." And it was starting to be a problem. There was starting to be some friction. And then out of the blue, she got a, a she saw a job notice for Plattsburgh here. And she flew out uh, for the interview. And they had called our house to offer her the job before she got off the plane coming home. Wow. And uh, she's like, I love this place. And I said, and where was it? And she circled on the map. And this was the last town that I did my last tour of when I was a roadie. Uh, I quit being a roadie after I did a Christmas carol up here. Yes, you did tell me that. And it was just, it was weird. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll do that. That's great. We got lakes right there. We got mountains right there. It's perfect. So it was a no-brainer then. It was a no-brainer at that point. Easy sell. Yeah, easy sell. Right out of of school, uh, right out of getting her PhD, and she was able to come to this place. Nice. And it's just... I think being, we're talking about meditating, being open to what's happening around you. When you try and force what's happening around you, that's when you get into trouble. So you uh, mean just let that opportunity come Just to let guys. it happen. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, you've got, I've got to get my medication, right? <laughs> I have to be thinking about that. I got to get food for the kids. But other than that, just what happens it really, if you force it, it doesn't work. I'm a big believer in that. I think mm-hmm. if, um, just the idea that things... I'm one like like karmas. I think it's a real thing. Like mm-hmm. I think if you're yeah. just a good person, yep. I look at every day. Like I used to go to church as a kid. I don't go anymore. But mm-hmm. it's the idea that when like this, you know, the Ten Commandments and everything else said everything's good as long as you like live by some moral compass. But I've always just felt like the golden rule: you know, yeah. treat others the way you want to be treated. Like you if bet. I can do that and just treat people. Like if I find that I'm doing something that I wouldn't like that reciprocated, then right. I don't do that thing. And it's it's one of those where as long as I can do that and I try to help people out the best I can, whether mm-hmm. it's you know, I, I whether it is helping them or not, as long as my intent is to help them or something like my intent is to do good, I look at as long as I can do that, then things usually come back pretty good. So as long, again, as you're trying to focus on bettering someone, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's like, that's my day to day. So I, I try to do that. My perfect hell, hell no. You know what I mean? That's not right. But it's the idea that at least I'm striving for that. That's the dream. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but I don't, I don't force anything. So it's like, if right. I'm good, if I'm acting the way I should act then the, like the stars will align the way it should. And I'm yeah. a big believer. Like I'm kind of one where I do believe that our lives are kind of mapped out for mm-hmm. us in some weird way, whether it's like a higher being or whatever. I still think that everything is, you make the decisions you're made, you're meant to make. Like if you were, right. to, you guys were deciding Instead of going to Plattsburgh, you decide to potentially move to, you know, Idaho, which yeah. kind of again has kind of both. Has it? Yeah. Like your life's been totally different. <laughs> yeah. Not not worse, better, or anything. It just would have been different. Different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, you you would have made the best of the situation. You mm-hmm. would have met different people. You would have you know your wife would have took a different position. You would have done mm-hmm. something different. And then it looks at like you can't go back and say, well, what if I would have changed this path? And I'm not. I'm like any path I pick, I just pick and commit to it because I'm like. Well, I'm just going down this one. Right. We'll figure it out. Right. Like if it's going to work, if it doesn't work, I'll just detour and go the other way. Like it's, mm-hmm. so I think there's something to be said about not putting like knowing that once you make a decision, like just being a hundred percent, it's the right decision. Mm-hmm. And you know, to use a real estate term, it's like buyer's remorse. Like don't, right. don't be remorseful. Right. If you're going to buy it, just buy it. Like <laughs> yeah. if you want it, commit to it. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't uh, second guess yourself. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah. it, it, you seem, it, you seem like a full on commitment guy. Well, I'm a, I'm a dil- I'm a dilettante. It's an old it's an old word from the 20s. And a dilettante was somebody who whose family had a lot of money. They were never forced to make money, so they could just do what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so they got a little piece of everything. So I'm kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. I think Adam and I, uh, Adam Crosley and I, joke about that. Oh yeah. Um, and it's you know knowing a little bit about everything. Um, do I do I run a bank? No, I, I have classmates that got their MBAs and actually ran banks in Michigan and, uh, and they ran that bank and that was their decision. I could never do it, but I did get them through marketing 101 by yeah. doing the designs for their store they were supposed to make. And they gave me a six pack of beer for that. So, I mean, it's everybody Fair. goes in these different paths and I can't be mad at them for doing that stuff. I can't be mad at me for turning it down. I just, it's a different decision. What's well, like following your passion and mm-hmm. like, you know, as long as I think is again, if you love something, you love it, you have fun with it. And, and, um, so speaking of loving something, the, <laughs> wh- when did you get involved in like the telescope and f- do you take the photos? Or is that more Scott? That's more Scott. T- Scott's a photo guy. So you're more yeah. the telescope guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a, Hey, look at this. I, I like the light coming from that thing that we're looking at in the sky and hitting the mirror and going to your eyeball into your brain. That's what I like that experience. So like what, what's your like knowledge of, cause obviously telescope, mm-hmm. I'm assuming sure. mostly space, right? Yep. Yep. So like what, what's, I love space. Like mm-hmm. I think anybody, I don't, I don't know anybody that doesn't like space. I yeah. think there's always a curiosity about it. And it's mm-hmm. also the, the thought, and I, I've, we've talked about this before in other episodes, that like when you start comparing the Earth to the size of stars and yep. galaxies and stuff, and, and then eventually you just feel like my life is useless because right. it's like, what's it matter? No, your life is part of that thing. I know. It's like yeah. a speck within a million specks, <laughs> mm-hmm. a billion. Um, so where does like where did the fascination with space come? Like, What do you mm-hmm. look at when you look through telescopes? So just go into that whole thing because sure. I think it's fascinating. Sure. Um, I, I, and it all goes back uh, to living with a Depression-era family uh, that, you know, being raised by these folks and we were hunting all the time. And from the time I was teeny tiny, I was out in the woods with my dad. Uh, my earliest memory of, of hunting with him, I was three years old and we walked out behind the barn on this farm we were living on. He was a game warden and we walked out and behind this barn and we sat down on a log. It was maybe, you know, for me, it was a massive trek the way it is in my mind. It was probably 70 yards. Yeah. You know, we just walked out to get away from the house and we sat on this log and he sat there and he had a shotgun and I, I had the lunch 
and the lunch was in a metal lunchbox and I kept checking it to see if the lunch was in there. So it's like flip up those metal clasps and oh, bang, yeah. bang the thing and close it up. And the sandwiches were wrapped in uh, wax paper, right? Okay. Cause it was 1966 and, uh, 65. And I kept rattling the wax paper and I think about it now and I'm thinking, why didn't he just bury me out there in the woods? Because there was no way any animal was going to come within a hundred miles of us with all the noise I was making. But we sat there and the sun went down and we were getting ready to walk back in and the stars were up. And when you're hunting in the fall, Orion, the constellation yeah. Orion is the big thing. Uh, hunter. Yeah. Right? Orion Orion's the hunter. hunter. I, I, I called him the paper boy actually, because whenever the paper boy dropped off the house, uh, dropped off at our house and I would go get the paper in the morning. I would look up and there would be the stars. And I just, I called him the paper boy when I was a little kid. Uh, and yeah, it's Orion the hunter. Uh, there's a great nebula there. So, but having that really recognizable thing, yeah. uh, you know, once I had my paper out and once we're playing, you know, football games and you're looking at the stars after football games are over and you're coming home, uh, get into theater and you're doing that two o'clock walk from the bar. Uh, just, just looking up all the time. And, uh, from the, my youngest days, three, four, five years old, I'm out hunting with my dad, duck hunting, deer hunting, uh, just anything. You're out in the woods at night, walking along, waiting for the sun to come up and there's just stuff to look at. And so my, my father had a, uh, his education in the stars was he was a, uh, in the army air corps. Uh, he was just, he graduated from flight school, uh, two weeks before Japan was bombed, uh, for the final time. And so he was an, a navigator and he learned celestial navigation with the sextant. And so flying these planes cross country and using the position of the stars and your watch That's to wild. figure out where you were, it was absolutely wild. And I cannot do it. Uh, thank you, GPS satellites. Um, but wow. that's how he learned it. But that was, it was a very practical knowledge. And so he gave me a very practical knowledge. You look at the handle of the Big Dipper and you follow the arc of the handle down to Arcturus. And then Arcturus goes straight to Spica and Spica is where the planets are. So this is how you find your way around. And that's mm. how I learned. Uh, now they call it star walking. Uh, and it's something that, it's something that's kind of missing lately um, because everybody wants to take the big image. And I'm not going to poo-poo on Scott, especially if he's not here. Uh, my friend Scott Brightwell is a an amazing astrophotographer. He's self-taught. Uh, and his stuff is absolutely amazing. Um, and when we go out to look for stuff, um, I just like going and seeing the thing and having people come and look at the thing. And then he takes that image home and is able to share it forever. Whereas like if you and I were to go out uh, and we were to do a, a, a star party and we were to look at the stars, you would have that moment. It's kind of like live theater versus uh, recorded programming or binge watching. You've got that moment and then that moment is gone. And while you can remember it and remember how cool it was, you're not going to have that. You're not going to have that focused image of it again, um, which is super cool. I love what they're doing with uh, astronomical photography. I think that, uh, when you can hold up your phone and say, uh, hold it up and point it at the sky and say, oh, look, there's the Crab Nebula. Well, you haven't really, you've used a phone to find something. Mm -hmm. You haven't found it. That's me. It's cheating. Yeah. yeah. Cheating. I, I yeah. feel like it's cheating. There's a, I like sitting out for meteor showers. You just had a big meteor shower, uh, the Perseids. And uh, I love sitting out for that. And somebody showed me an app on their phone last October that if you just put the phone on a tripod and aim it at the sky, it takes like four frames a second. And then at the end of the night, it processes it and it saves every one of the meteors. Okay. So you get the shot and it looks like the meteor storm. It looks like the Star Trek spaceship. Um, 
And then you're like, I saw 197 meteors last night. No, you didn't. You were asleep. Your phone saw 197 meteors. It's a cool thing. I have some of those pictures on my phone, but I don't, and I'm old fashioned. I mean, it's, I think that, that being out there and actually seeing this stuff, uh, Seeing this stuff, it doesn't. It's not better than being an astrophotographer. It's just different, mm-hmm. uh, and so much of our focus now is on. Oh, look at this great picture! And when I show the Andromeda, uh, the Andromeda galaxy to somebody, and they say, "Well, it doesn't look like it looks on the on the computer." No, it doesn't. <laughs> that's the that's the light that came right to your brain. So you know? when you when you look through like a telescope, like how how far out or how much how many magnified or how magnified am I saying? Yeah, right? yeah the, the magnification. The magnification. Yeah. Yep. yeah. The uh, uh, a telescope is basically it's a mirror to focus to gather and focus light, uh, and that all the whole structure, no matter how big or small the telescope is, is designed to make that image appear about three quarters of an inch above the eyepiece. Okay. So that's so you put your eye three quarters of an inch in the eyepiece, and uh, or the microphone in this case. That's good. Uh, we might want to sanitize this. You know, yeah. COVID can go from your eyeballs, uh, <laughs> and uh, and that that. So that that lens train, the light goes through a, a lens train from that eyepiece to the mirror and then out to the object. Uh, my, I have a 16-inch telescope, which is on loan uh, from uh, an organization down in New Jersey that I use. And it's, uh, we call it the light bucket because it, on a, on a clear night, I'm seeing stuff that's five, six, seven hundred thousand light years away. I'm seeing light. No, yeah, I'm seeing light that left long ago. And depending on what I put on it for lenses or how dark my environment is, uh, I can see further. Um, and and that for me, I mean, goosebumps again, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, cool. <laughs> and that and that for me, uh, that's what it's about. I don't get to see like big cloudy nebulas and stuff like these guys are imaging this week. Uh, but by the same token, the, the forest fires in California are affecting everybody I know mm-hmm. from the Mississippi West because there's so much smoke in the upper atmosphere that it's starting to affect how they can see things. So they use their computers. Uh, the photographers I know in town, they will go out and they'll shoot for two hours and then they'll take three weeks to make those pictures happen. And that, I mean, I love that they do that. I love to see what they're looking at, but that's three weeks away from the actual event. I mean, three weeks to like edit the photos. Yeah, edit it, the okay. photos. You know, you get to punch the color. Uh, I have a tendency to just hold my. I have a, a bracket now, but I hold my smartphone up to my eyepiece, and I shot the uh, the last uh, Mercury transit. I went down to New Paltz when my son had just started there. We had a telescope, an eight inch telescope, set up outside, and it was. I think everything we had lined up made it about a four hundred magnification. So 400X, which, you know, and you can buy a a lens that'll do that for a camera, but we had this kind of big old tube and had the, the, we were looking and we were watching Mercury cross the sun, uh, uh, the transit from start to finish. We could see it up there and we had a solar filter on it. So we weren't burning our brains out. And then just whoever walked by, we'd say, Hey, come look at Mercury. And they're like, you're not looking at Mercury. It's like, go, go ahead and take a look. And, uh, we watched that happen and I would hold the phone up and, and take that picture so I could kind of memorialize what we were doing. But for me, the experience was I had 208 people in the course of that Mercury transit come wow. over and look at Mercury. And I and I was able to show them something they hadn't seen before. And, and you can really see Mercury possible. pretty good, right? Yeah, it's, it's a black dot going across the face of the sun. Um, yeah, we're on a solar minimum right now. But the uh, the sunspots, you can see the sunspots with the rig I have. So, so can you, like when, you, when you're... 
telescope looking at the sun. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I'm assuming there's some type of like lens over yeah, that. I use a glass of... filter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. it's not as bright as it. No, it's like uh, it's like uh, if you're looking at an eclipse and the eclipse is almost full, you can use like welder's goggles mm-hmm. uh, to to keep from burning your retinas out. So that's kind of what it is that 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 uh, that type of material. Um, the uh, the telescopes all come with. Uh, labels on them that say do not look directly at sun you will burn your eyes out and if i'm doing something for little kids i'll set my telescope up and i'll point at the sun in the afternoon and i'll all go like this and the parents are like Ugh. and then i'll hold a sheet of notebook paper up in front of the lens uh, up in front of the eyepiece and just go you know poof it'll blow a hole and it. it'll set it right on fire really? it's like this is why we don't look at the sun unless we have this cap on there and then you put the cap on and you invite wow. people over and they kind of they're kind of sneaky but then they look down there and they can see sunspots uh, you know, they That's can, wild. yeah. And, it, and so that, but, and that for me, it's, it's the event again. I mean, anybody can show you a picture of the sun. Yeah. Uh, not everybody's going to set something on fire and then make you look through the thing that set the thing on fire. I was talking, <laughs> I think it was Jared last one that mm-hmm. came, when he came on the idea that the, how far is the sun away from the earth again? Uh, plus or minus 93 million miles. It's like 93 million miles away mm-hmm. and it can burn your skin. Yeah. It can hurt your eyes. Like you got to think like how powerful the sun is. Yeah. And how small the sun is on a grand scale. I mean, obviously the sun's, I don't know where it is in the hierarchy of all the stars, but mm-hmm. um, compared to some of the stars, it's a dot. Yeah, it's small and not great. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it blows my mind. <laughs> I'm like, so So how far, when you take these big planets, how far they are from us mm-hmm. or how far they have to be from a planet? I mean, they must be burning things up. Yeah, well, that's the, when they talk, when you're, every time you're hearing about a uh, uh, their search for extra exoplanets, I guess they're calling it now. So the, the planets are around other stars. Um, they find those planets by looking at the star with a, a telescope that's aimed very tightly. And uh, in its simplest form, that star is moving slightly. And by the movement of the star over time, they can say, well, this star is moving like this because there's a planet of this much mass that's orbiting next to it. And that's, it's, it's called a, what do they call it? A perturbation of the orbit. Um, any, yeah, anybody that knows me that's an actual astronomer is going to go, no, dude, that's not the word. Uh, but it's that, that uh, eccentricity of the orbit is what, how they started finding those planets. And then they can point even more powerful instruments at it to find out where the planets are. Um, so, I don't know. I think there's so many questions. I, like, no, that's okay. It's, yeah. it's just like <laughs> like stuff when it like mm-hmm. space stuff. It just like pops in, and then you think of stuff, and then it like transitions into I don't know. There's just, that's that's what space is like. It's that, so yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. I guess like when you start talking about like planets and stuff, like what's the closest thing? Like if you were to shoot like one of the closest. Um, I mean, obviously the closest star is the sun, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But when you start going into like the, the the North Star, like the North yep. Star, is what serious? Uh, yeah, right now it is. Yep. Yeah, the our 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 pole, uh, it moves a little bit. So, Sir, uh, not Sirius is our North Star. Polaris is our North Star. Oh, Polaris, sorry, uh, I, see, I that's, say that's okay. Sirius is the brightest star that isn't our sun in the sky. That's the brightest yeah. star. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the that's the that's the hunting dog for Orion. It's right near Orion, uh, but that uh, so so and that it's its brightness is a function of how close it is and how bright it is. Uh, I don't know this summer or this spring, everybody was talking about uh, the star Betelgeuse yeah. that they all thought it was going to go supernova. And uh, because it was dimming at a rate faster than it should for our, its life expectancy. But I mean, the odds are stars go supernova all the time. The odds are we're going to see another one. Uh, we've seen a couple much farther away, but Beetle, uh, the reason Betelgeuse was freaking people out is because Orion is a constant. 
in the sky. Beetlejuice is the belt, right? Uh, the I belt? know. Beetlejuice is the upper. Let me see. If you're looking at Orion, it's the upper left corner. Okay. It's, but it's, it's in the constellation. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. his sword hand. It's in the upper left of the constellation. Gotcha. Um, and as Beetlejuice was dimming, people were freaking out. And they just, uh, some guys released an article last week uh, of describing what they're seeing. They're seeing a cloud of stellar matter that erupted from Betelgeuse because it is at the end of its life cycle. It has eruptions. It blows away its mass into space. Uh, on our sun, they look like, uh, they call them coronas, is big ejections of solar mass that go out and curve back in. And this, they, are, they are, have a model that shows this mass being expelled from Betelgeuse and then cooling so it darkens and then drifting in front of the sun. Kind of like when you're looking at a steam train. Our sun. Our sun. Okay. Or no, Betelgeuse rather. Sorry. No, it's in front of Betelgeuse. Okay. It's 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 Because Betelgeuse is a star. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's hundreds of light years away. Uh, Wild. Yeah. And, and, but the fact that they're able to say, now, wait a minute, this is what happens when a, a steam train goes underneath the bridge and you can see the steam train and then all of a sudden it's smoke cloud is covering it and you can see it, you know, it's there, but the cloud is in your way. And this is kind of how they figured this out for Betelgeuse. Does so, that... Yeah, no, no. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so Betelgeuse is a star. Yep, it's millions of light years away. Yep. So we're talking light years, meaning that what we're seeing left a million plus year, whatever yeah. that time. Yeah, frame I'm is. not sure what the time frame is. I think it's it's like seven thousand, or but it yeah, it left so, years ago. So you're seeing old light, basically. Let me let me right. I, I'm going to do that thing where you look at your phone and when you're doing something else, you can totally um, do it. No, I, this let is me good. You want to fact check? Let me see. Saying, we want to fact check this. But uh, it's the idea that like if if this it's a star. All the activity that's happening at the star is happening now, but we won't. How long would we hypothetically experience right. what's happening there? It's going to be different for every star. Uh, let me see. Beetlejuice, not Beetlejuice the movie. It's, there it is. It's a way different spelling. It's the 10th brightest star in the night sky, and after Rigel, the second brightest in the constellation of Orion. Uh, thank you. So come on, Wikipedia. There we go. Radius. We don't want care. 642 light years. So the stuff that was happening... 642, yeah. It's not that far away. No, it's not that far away at all. I mean, cosmically speaking. Um, So that light, uh, the thing that happened to Betelgeuse that caused uh, it to dim on us last month happened around the 1300s. Happened at the end of the Dark Ages. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and and that's that's cool. Wild. Yeah, because cosmically, that's right next door. You know, I mean... That's (laughs) wild. And that's... In light... Travels mm-hmm. obviously fast. Yeah, like a absolutely. Light, so a light year is not the same as a calendar year. No, no, it's a uh, three point six. Oh, sorry, uh, three point six. Have a seat. We have an extra microphone. No, I'm good. All right, okay, good enough. We're trying to fill a seat here. Um, we're when I'm everyone talking stars, I want an audience. That's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the sculpts uh, out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the thing that kind of popped my brain about about stars and that that speed of light is that the farther away you're looking, when they talk about looking at a really distant object, um, the farther out you get, the older the object is. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So the Milky Way, our spiral galaxy, we've seen it. We have a good example. Uh, if we look at Andromeda, that's kind of what we look like. Um, so when Andromeda looks at us, they say, hey, that's what and, we look like. And Andromeda is? It's a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Same as Milky Way. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, well, it's, it's yeah, the, the Milky Way where is us uh, sitting on the... Oh, now I'm going to get really old. Sitting on the needle at the center of the record player, okay. right? So the little spindle that the record sits yep. on, and we're looking along the record. So the Milky Way that we're seeing uh, is a flat disk with a bulge in the center uh, that everybody's rotating around. And when we see the Milky Way, we're looking through that rim. 
So it's kind of like looking at a cowboy hat from edge on. Yep. That's what the Milky Way is. Okay. So that's all those stars. So when you look away, from, yeah, I'm using my hands. You're this fine. is I'm radio. I've got a face for radio. Um, so so when we see a galaxy that looks like a galaxy, we're looking at it from the top. Uh, the Whirlpool Galaxy is one you okay. can see. Andromeda, you're seeing from an angle like this, but you're seeing more of that object. Um, and then when we look at the Milky Way, we're looking along the edge, you know, through the thickness of the arms of the Milky Way galaxy. So you're talking layers and layers we're looking yeah. through pretty yeah. much. It, yeah. So the Milky Way galaxy, what is in the center of the Milky Way galaxy? A uh, black hole, a large black hole. So we're um, and we're part of the Milky Way galaxy. Yes. So we're mm-hmm. just one, like our solar system, mm-hmm. which is the sun and the the yep. nine planet or eight planets, I guess. Now. Don't start with me. Okay. I'm gonna say, I, I still I still like I still like Pluto. So. I love Pluto. Yeah, absolutely. So, so okay, nine. So we say nine. That's what I grew up learning was nine planets. Yep. So dwarf and whatever, it's still mm-hmm. good. So so that's our considered solar system. That's our solar system. Yep. Solar system is part of the larger galaxy, mm-hmm. and there's. Mold, obviously millions probably of solar yep. systems within yep. uh, yeah. the galaxy. Yeah, absolutely. Statistically, there has to be one that's like ours. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, the numbers are like, so huge. When yeah. they're like, is there other life form? Like, oh, there's probably a million other life forms out there. That, right. I mean, just you think how big the universe is. Yeah. You know, and that you know, it doesn't shock me that are some of them better than ours. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I would hope so because if there's millions, we're probably somewhere in that spectrum. Are we number one? It'd be cool. Yeah, I doubt yeah, it. I, 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 I doubt love it. to, th- I love to think that. It's like yeah. winning the lottery. I don't think I don't think yeah. it would be the winner, but we, it'd be cool if it was. Just as long as we don't go supernova, I think it's a win. So supernova uh, is when everything just dries up. Yeah the the fuel the fuel that it's burning is no longer able to keep it keep its shell away. Okay. Um, so that you know that the fuel it's like uh, when you're blowing out a birthday candle and you're blowing on that birthday candle and then you run out of air. So the flame is moving, 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 and then it stops moving because you can't blow on it anymore. Yep. And so that's as the sun runs out of fuel, a couple things happen. Either it uh, it has small explosions that blow all that gas away until there's not enough gas to sustain the reaction, uh, and then it turns into something called a brown dwarf. And I, I Which apologize, means that all, to everybody. The, all the flames of the star are gone. Yeah, that, yeah, the stuff that makes it light is gone. Okay. Um, and then uh, in a catastrophic scenario, it would collapse and all that material would come into the center and it would explode. And that's that's the nova and the supernova. Um, it's Latin for new. Supernova is super new, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, and But it's, it's a bright light. Um, and that blows all that stuff out. So is a supernova a fast process? Or can it take... Like when you talk about... Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're talking like yeah, yeah. big numbers here. Yep. When a super when it gets to a supernova and you say it basically implodes, mm-hmm. like does that implosion happen? Like boom, it's done. Is it a quick reaction or mm-hmm. is it like okay, this is actually going to take us thousands of years to happen? Yeah, then, and and I am I am a layman. I learned this sitting in a duck blind and a deer blind. Okay, but it's uh, as far as that goes. The the exciting thing about Beetlejuice was that we were watching it and we're like, this could be the moment. Oh, so it really could be just yeah, like an it could have happened. Tipping point, like it's done. Yeah, it could have happened okay. thirteen hundred and one years ago. And now we're going to see what happens. Um, so potentially that could have just been like, yeah, it would just be poof. Yeah. You're like, wait, yeah. it's gone. It would have blown out and made, uh, well, you've seen Orion, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Have you, you've seen the, the nebula in Orion? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm okay, not that's all right. What's a, a nebula is? We're going to see it. A nebula is a cloud of gas. Okay. Uh, nebula is it, it's and it's one of those Latin terms they they coined. It's cloudy or misty. It's like a cloud. So it looks again yeah. kind of a, mm-hmm. a cloudy, fa- like yep. hazy looking subject. Yep. Okay. And and the Orion Nebula is really interesting because you can see a lot of detail in it. Uh, everybody knows Orion. 
I'm going to assume we'll go with that. Uh, you've got Orion's belt, which is the three stars that are close That's together. That's I always, I look for the belt and then you the rest the of belt. it's a little hazy, but yeah. yes. I, so you've got the belt and you have the four corners around the it, belt. And it's that's, like, it's pointing this way. Yeah, it's like a hand and a shield and yeah, and a sword in the, on the top. Oh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a bow and arrow. No, I, I'm pretty sure in this one, the the ones that I've seen. I trust you way yeah. more than me. So that's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> a, and th- these, uh, these opinions are mine. They may not be the opinions of the National Astronomical Union. Uh, and then the, the two stars lower down are the feet uh, or the knees uh and so it and it's all artistic licenses to what's drawn but the important thing about the belt is that it points you to two things uh there's an enormous uh it's not a nebular cloud uh, there's an enormous cloud of of debris that's being lit uh and gas is being lit by the stars in orion and if you have the right filters on your camera uh, that's why i wish scott was here um, you can see the colors of this vapor that's around it. It's an enormous nebula. The Veil Nebula is there. Um, but in the, the belt of Orion, if you go down from the belt, there are three more stars, and that's Orion's sword uh, oh, yeah. okay. yep. that hangs down, right? Yep. Yep. So the middle sword, if it's super clear, what we can get in the wintertime here, you can see that the middle sword doesn't, or the middle star doesn't look like a star so much, and that's because it's a huge cloud of gas uh, it's a nebula. It's it's uh, there was an explosion there, uh, and it's a star forming zone. In the middle of it, there are four bright tiny stars, and their light is lighting up the ga- the gas cloud that blew out of whatever oh. this event was. And you can see it easily with pretty much any telescope. A good pair of binoculars will get you there. And it's it's that connection you make from going from a bright dot in the sky to an actual thing. And it's there. There's the goosebumps again. Yeah, that was that was that's the, wild. Yeah, that was the first thing I saw. And it's and it's uh, there's all sorts of different classifications for these. I didn't prepare, uh, but this this is one where the stars in the middle of them, uh, called the trapezium, is uh, lighting up the gas around it. And it, so it's actually you're seeing the stars, you're seeing the clouds of gas that it's reflecting off of. And uh, yeah, and it's like bing. We're so both, we're, yeah, we're both making those, uh, our mind blown yeah, uh, cool. things here. Yeah. And, and so that, but, and that being able to talk through that, I mean, I can show you pictures of Orion Nebula until I'm blue in the face, but when you look at that and you see, okay, that light came from those stars and bounced off that gas and came down to my mirror and came through my eyepiece to my eye in real time, that's, that's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. We're going to get really quiet here for a second. I know, just thinking. Like it's, I know, it's like I, like the worst thing you do on a podcast is dead airspace. Yeah, but I kind of like okay, my yeah. mind's being blown, and then I'm just like, wait, I'm trying to process this whole thing. I, yeah. I just, I, it, it's. It, so is Orion? Now you said that your, is it your favorite constellation? Yeah, absolutely, it's the first one I was able to say. That's Orion. Yeah, yeah it is my it is my favorite constellation. I, I don't I don't know a lot of them, but I, mm-hmm. again, when the uh, the comet came the other day, yeah. like the other day, mm-hmm. a month ago, gotcha, a month, month ago, ago, yeah. Um, so when the comet was coming, me and my wife went out. And tried to find the comet. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with the naked eye, I think it was almost you could, next. You could find it, but it was hard. It was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem was our house is, there's like a tree line that's not far away. And mm-hmm. we kept thinking, we're like, this is like based on the, what we're researching and trying to figure out. It's very close that it could have been just good at the top of the tree. So yep. we, we might mm-hmm. have actually missed it. Like, we might have been able to see it, but it might have been just hidden by the tr- like our tree line. Right. And we... I learned a little bit about constellations. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I cheated. I had the app. I went, hey, that's put it okay. Because <laughs> I was like, because the thing is, like, I can see the Big Dipper, mm-hmm. and then I know, like, off of the Big Dipper goes to, um, off of one Dipper goes to the Little Dipper, mm-hmm. and, yep. then, and then off the other one goes to Polaris. Right? Am I uh, yep. That? Yep. Yeah. The Polaris is actually the first star in the Little Dipper. Yep. 
Or but so yeah, so mm-hmm. it's it's sorry, it goes Yep. The dipper goes like this. Mm-hmm. This one points up, yep. right? And then it, mm-hmm. it's upside down. It's yep. dipping a little dipper into the big dipper. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So that, that's about the extent I know. Orion's belt is the one I look for. That's what you got to know. Yeah. Yep. And then there's another one that, is it a, it's it's kind of easy. It's like a crown. What's mm-hmm. the crown one? Uh, Corona Borealis. Yep. And that one's pretty uh, easy to find The northern crown. That's, that's pretty easy to find. I mean, yep. Once you kind of know where it is, like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I do... It's right there. You know? Yeah, and you can go from there to Hercules. Uh, Cassiopeia is a W in the sky. Um, yeah, okay, and that's and that's and that Cassiopeia is the key to looking at Andromeda, uh, and so it's learning the stars. The programs are great. So you say it's like a roadmap. Yeah, it, but yeah, the programs are great, and so using that program and and what you've learned, uh, it's yeah, you can find anything. Well, you can't find anything. I will frequently try to find things that I can't find. Uh, the first objects I ever. Uh, looked at for myself, found for myself with nobody helping me. I was at a retreat uh, down in Lewis uh, where I met a lot of really great people that were really helpful to me in kind of the telescope phase of my learning, from the hunter phase to the telescope phase. Um, and there are two objects. They're uh, Messier 81 and 82. We'll talk about Messier in a second. Okay. Um, uh, M81, M82, and they are two galaxies. And it's uh, Bode's uh, Bode's galaxy and uh, the Cigar Nebula, which it's also a galaxy, but you're looking at it edge on. And uh, so Bode's galaxy looks like we think the spiral galaxy. Uh, Cigar is right next to it. In one eyepiece field of view, you can see both of these objects. And you find that by, uh, you've got the four stars in the in the dipper, right? Yep. Uh, so the two end stars of the dipper point to Polaris. Yep. Okay. So the kitty corner stars... Uh, from the bottom to the last pointer star, uh, point in that distance of those stars, point to these two galaxies, and so you're looking in a which clear, way? Uh, it's it's below so, the so, north star right now. So if, if, like the dipper goes like here. Mm-hmm. I know it's a bad yep. example. I know. Yeah, we're we're doing so, finger puppets here. I know. So, so yeah. star here, star mm-hmm. here, star here, and here's yep. your dipper. Yeah. This points that way. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's where the crutch, like it goes with the point. Uh, it, it, it's or a it point across it. the bowl. Yeah, you know what we're gonna have to do? We're gonna have to go on look for it. I got it. I know. Uh, I'm a cook yeah. now. I got it. <laughs> there you go. I got to. I got to go on one of these mm-hmm. star parties that you call. Them. Absolutely, absolutely. The and and the the key for us here in Plattsburgh, you were talking about your skyline, uh, is we have a really close, really bright astronomical object that uh, all of my friends call the Great Montreal Nebula, and that's if there's any moisture in the air at all, the city lights of Montreal, a hundred kilometers away, they kind of blow out the northern horizon so it makes it harder to see those dim objects you can still do it uh put a big mountain between you uh like uh scott did for what like we did for his comet pictures that great nut we have our comet pictures he had a couple (sighs) yeah the yeah the mornings were a lot worse than the nights i like staying up i don't like getting up uh and we were up uh the valcor brewing company we were up at 3 a.m a couple mornings walking down there to see the see the comet in the its morning appearance uh, and that's where we first got really excited. Oh, so you took them right down here. Yeah, yeah, we were right on the lake. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, you try to take humidity out of the equation. I like to go higher up in the Adirondacks because the higher you get above sea level, uh, the less moisture stays in the air. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, we were right down here on the beach, and it was we were full fireman. I don't know what he was doing, but I was stacking my clothes. I had my shoes on the ground and my pants stacked up on top of my shoes, and so the alarm would go off. And my wife had hit me, and I'd roll out of bed, and I'd step into my shoes, and I'd pull my pants up and drive over here. And I was on the site like 310, sound asleep. And he'd kind of come staggering up, and we'd set up our gear, and then we'd just kind of sit there and watch. And you're looking around, and all of a sudden, I'd never, I'd never seen a comet like this before. I'd never seen a comet where we found it. Uh, 
it's that's called recovery. Uh, discovery is the first time somebody sees it, and recovery is you know where the comet is, and you go and you look at it again and again and again. Uh, so this is the first time I'd ever recovered a comet by myself, and I was super excited. And it was 3 a.m., 3:20 in the morning. We can see the ferry boats going back and forth, and then here's this comet hanging over them, and we were both like, it was a lot of dead air. Galen, yeah, so <laughs> we were talking. But, but you can, but you can. I mean, yeah. naked eye, you could see this pretty well. And then obviously, uh, with the telescope on it, once you knew where you were looking, absolutely, you could see it naked eye. Um, I was using my telescope because I like the telescopes. Cameras and binoculars were really the best way to see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was, I was, uh, because I'm, I'm used to working with my telescopes. I would put a really low magnification eyepiece in it, and uh, we would hang out. There's another another guy in town, Mike, that uh, my son and I met uh, on beaches. We were looking around for places to see the comet, and we just were running into all these amateur astronomers. And there's some there's some pretty big heavy hitters in town really? uh, doing imaging, yeah. And uh, and it's that kind of thing where you, it's just a voice in the darkness. It's like, hey, what are you out here looking for? I'm looking for the comet. Yeah, it's right over here, over this tree. And oh, and, so these guys yeah, are out there in the morning. With yeah, them. yeah. These are just yeah, people wow. that we met casually where we're out looking so for they're this doing thing. The same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, and that and that and and that's what I like about astronomy, and that's the thing I can't do with COVID. You know, now if I want to set my telescope up in my neighborhood, I got boxes of wipes. I've always got my mask on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah you, yes, you've yeah. got to get your face right where that eyepiece is. And it's, uh, we're not taking a chance, but it's, it's not that, oh, you have to see this thing right now. Come look at this thing. So, so when you, when you set up your telescope, mm-hmm. like you, you do this throughout the communities. I try to. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you're just, you're just sitting there looking all of a sudden, you'll just leave it and just like, Hey, here's something cool that you guys can look at. Yeah, my kids, my kids say that I actively get anybody within the sound of my voice to come look. <laughs> So if somebody's, receptive to it? Yeah, if somebody's walking their well, dog, for the most part, they're like, eh, I don't know. And it's like, no, come on over and look at this. And they'll come over. So you got to think, I, feel, I think the only thing about that is like stranger danger. Yeah, like, yeah this absolutely. Guy? But then there's also, the, the, but again, I'm saying like the stranger danger, but then right in the back of their head, someone's like a good devil, bad devil. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's a telescope and it's looking up at space. And I think that'd be like, I think just most people are kind of like, yeah, I do want to kind of see yeah. what he's looking at. And, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, sun is, the sun is good for that because then it's daytime. Yep. Uh, so I set up my solar scope. I set it up on campus one time by my wife's office. I think, was it for the Mercury Transit? Scott and I were moving around that day. Um, that's the first time we really worked a setup together where we both had scopes and stuff. We were trying to take images. Um, but I had my scope set up in the parking lot at CVH over on the SUNY campus. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had it all set up. And the, and the mirror that sits in the front of it is it, it's kind of uh, like super mirrored policeman's shades. Okay, that's what the, that's what the lens that's keeping the, the sunlight out looks like from the front. And I'm looking through this uh, telescope and this woman starts running over and she's yelling at me. And I, I don't understand what she's saying. And it turns out later, once we had both calmed down, that she was speaking Vietnamese. And she said, don't do that stupid. And she kept saying it over and over and over again. And I, I do a star talk uh, called the Mar- Mark One Eyeball. I've done it for star parties. Uh, and and it, I'm telling the story. And I have the, I have the words in the thing, but I don't memorize them. I read them off the slide. Because she's like, don't do that stupid. Don't do that stupid. And she's yelling at me in Vietnamese. And she runs across the parking lot. And I'm like, what? And she says, looking at the sun is bad. And then I said, well, no, here, this is, this is the thing I'm using, and this is the eyepiece. And if you look in there, and she's like, no, 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 I'm not going to look in there. I said, just look in there, and you'll see spots on the face of the sun. And she looked into it, and she goes, oh, that's all right then. <laughs> but, but she was freaking out that I was out in the middle of this parking lot staring directly into the sun using a big object, and she just thought I was going to burn my eyes out, which is nice. But I was able to reach out to her, and if I had... If I had said at nighttime, if I was looking at the moon and I said, excuse me, miss, come on over here and look at this moon. You know, here's the dark voice. The stranger danger thing kicks in. Yeah. 
it's better to have kids there, uh, you know, because your your kids can kind of help you. you make the, okay, this is on the up and up. Yeah. Uh, Scott's family, I, I love hanging out with Scott's family because yeah, his his great. son Eli is super star crazy, really? and uh, yeah, oh that's yeah, cool. yeah, cool. and uh, and he loves to. And when Eli's up on the ladder looking through a telescope that's twice as tall as he is, yeah. uh, that's just that's the hook. You know, people see that and they're like, oh, the kid can do it, I can do it. Um, I met. A, I was in October. I went to a star party in Arizona, and I've never seen a sky like that before. Um, okay. It was a, a thing that Explorer Scientific put it on. Uh, Scott Roberts and those guys at Explorer Scientific are awesome. They do these parties all over the world, and uh, we were in a park in southern Arizona at about four thousand feet elevation, and I'd never seen stars like that before. And I, I had set up in a dark site, uh, kind of away from this campground where everybody was staying, and uh, my friend David was there, who's been a comet hunter for. 40 years and uh so we were off in this primitive site and there were two guys from ohio and myself and so david would be calling out what he was seeing he says okay we've got jupiter and we've got that cluster right over by jupiter and uh the midwesterners and i are like we're not seeing any of this stuff because there were so many stars the sky was so clear that you would look up and it was Probably like not you were, a lot of light pollution out there no light pollution that, at yeah. all yeah, yeah it, when, awesome. when somebody would turn on their red flashlight they're like kill that because even that was too bright just incredible. Um, I think was it Nogales. There's a town in Mexico, like 130 miles away, and we could see their light, uh, but it wasn't. It was intrusive. Excuse me. Okay. And we're sitting there, and so David is calling out what he's seeing, and he goes, "Okay, I've got this." Uh, you know, we're kind of seeing the California Nebula, and he's he's a trained observer. He's done it for years, every day. I think his observing logs are at McGill University, and I think he has twenty or thirty thousand sessions where he just logs every night. He sits out. He's done it his entire life, um, and so he's sitting calling these things out. And the two other guys from the the Midwest and I are like. I'm not seeing this stuff. I'm not seeing it because when we would look through our telescopes, it looked like you were looking out the window through a sheer curtain, right? There were so many dots of light and it's all stars. Yeah. Uh, but, and if you get over near the Milky Way, forget about it. You know, here it's a band of light that you can kind of maneuver around out there. It's just, it's a wash of stars. Wow. Um, so uh, our, our solution to this, I was just kind of, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was just sitting there and I don't have a powered telescope. It's all, I'm all steer by eye. So I took my, my cheapest lens out of the box and I licked it. And the, the Ohio guys, Tom and Billy, they're like, wait, wait, what did you just do? And I licked my eyepiece. And they're like, why would you do that? Because they're hard to clean. You don't want to scratch them. But that, <laughs> this is gross, that layer of saliva took enough of the detail out that I could start to see stars that I could track again. So, you know, yeah, so I'm looking at Orion and you could kind of see where Orion is, but you couldn't see it because there were so many stars behind it. Uh, the stuff in the Milky Way, there's some great things to look at in the Milky Way. We just couldn't find them until we'd put some sconge on the lens. So, so, <laughs> how, so what's, what, I mean, obviously I'm, I, I'm geography and yeah. elevation and stuff. So why were the stars so much clearer out there? Was it just purely the elevation? Was it because of... There's no moisture. Okay, I was going to say, it's no, mm -hmm. clear, yeah. okay, so it makes yeah. sense. I think the most moisture... dry, like, dry... Uh, yeah. Desert air, yeah. I, I was drinking two gallons of water a day, and I yeah. wasn't sweating. I mean, that's yeah. it was super dry, that's and this great. is October. I loved it. I can see why everybody I know retires out there that's a stargazer, because you here we have three good nights a month, and out there they have 23 good nights a month. Yeah. Uh, and in the wow. summertime, it's even better. And it's great, but it's the we were up at about 4,000 feet, and the higher up you get, the less moisture hangs in the air. Um, and then just down here, we'll have a 70% uh, humidity night. And each one of those little mo water molecules that make it humid yeah. reflect a little bit of light. 
you can't see it, okay. but yeah, you, you can't see it, but it affects what you're seeing. So when you're out there, so when we look up at the sky and we do, we're basically seeing like the big bright stars. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then when you go out there, you're talking, there's millions in between all of them. Yeah. So you see, here's the big ones, but then yeah. there's like, yeah, everything is just filled in and it, there's, and it's so much data. You can't, you can't figure out what you're seeing. But the guy that was leading the class, you said he's obviously very trained. He can look through all that. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, Oh, that ding, ding, ding. Even he's been doing it forever. Um, That's wild. Yeah, he, he's a comet hunter. I, I met him in, in Lewis. Uh, my wife took me out. Uh, she used to work for the college uh, auxiliary services, and she said, hey, they're having, a, they're having a dinner. They want to thank us for letting them use uh, the Twin Valleys uh, retreat site down in Lewis. Um, and I was like, I'd just been working. I didn't want to go. And she's like, come on, let's go. And uh, this serious name dropping coming up. I won't swear, but uh, <laughs> we drive down to this thing, and we pull in, and there's this kind of, lanky Ichabod crane guy standing there directing traffic and he parks us in a, in a corner. He says, Hey, thanks. We're just about to eat coming up to the cabin. And, uh, I'm looking at him I'm, and I look at my wife and I say, do you know who that was? And she goes, yeah, I know who it was. Do you know who it was? And I'm like, yeah, I, I had just met uh, David Levy who was the comet hunter with Eugene Schumacher, who, uh, among other things discovered the comet that hit Jupiter that the one where oh, wow. the comet broke up and busted up. So okay. this this guy uh, went to a summer camp here in the Adirondacks in the 60s, and he's always loved it. So he comes and he gives guest lectures at the campus. And just a genuinely nice guy, you know, you would think somebody like that who's, who worked for NASA and worked all these big telescopes. And he was directing traffic. <laughs> he was directing traffic. And just the nicest, and, and we've been we've been friends for 10 years now. And it's, it's just, that's the way that community works. Uh, there were 40 people at this thing. 17 of the people at this retreat I went to the first year uh, gave their job as astrophysicists. They're like, what do you do? I say, well, I'm, a, I'm an outdoor guide. I'm a facilitator for uh, therapeutic counseling. And they go, oh, I'm a retired astrophysicist <laughs> because they're so used to looking at the stars. And it's just, we were talking about mindsets earlier. Yeah. It's not something that you consider. It's yeah. like, yeah, here's this, is, this astrophysicist in his spare time, he just sits and looks at the stars. Um, and, and, but they're, they're like you and I, you know, it's, it's there. Everybody's accessible. Everybody has knowledge. Everybody can share that knowledge if they want to. Yeah. It's nice. So again, sorry, David. No, no, this is good. (laughs) I'm apologizing to David. I drop his name. I I get kind of embarrassed when I drop his name, but yeah, he's a good guy. So, so, um, how many, when you're looking for, when you talk about like a comment Mm -hmm. hunter, like how many comments happen at any given time? Uh, there are, I mean, uh, yeah. when you say mm-hmm. comet hunter, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the one the other day, um, Neowise, right? Yep. Neo, the Neowise. Yep. The Neowise is a search system that's looking for near earth orbit, uh, uh, orbit crossing asteroids. So it's, it's part of our, our space guard where they're, they want to see if they can see something that's going to hit us and do damage. That's part of the Neowise. So a comet is just an <laughs> asteroid. That's well, uh, no, a comet is a, is a ball of gas and material that is coming from outside the solar system. Uh, asteroids they think are debris left over from when the solar system formed, but they're inside. So a comet is mostly uh, gas, uh, and it's mostly ice crystals and stuff that are sublimated. And as it gets close to the sun, the energy coming off the sun blows that tail off and gives you the tail you see. So, I mean, how often do those happen? Uh, all the time. Uh, what's happening now uh, is that we have these computerized systems that are looking for comets, and that's why uh, Neowise... Um, there was one a couple of years ago called Assassin, uh, and these these computerized uh, programs they just look for uh, they look for things that aren't supposed to be there, and that's how they're that's how they're finding these objects. There are four incoming right now that have been discovered since Neowise uh, 
F3. I think that was that was the third comet that Neowise had discovered this year. Uh, the the big one we're calling Comet Neowise. Uh, that was the third one that it saw. And then these there's four since then that Neowise has discovered that are coming in. Uh, so they're there all the time. It's whether we see them or not. Uh, did you see last week there was an asteroid that missed us by a thousand miles? Well, uh, I think so. They said something yeah. about there's one that's supposed to hit us by the end of the year or something. Yeah, like, yeah, we get hit a lot. Uh, when uh, let me see, ten years ago, eight years ago, uh, in Chelyabinsk in Russia, in Russia, there was a big meteor that came close to the surface before it broke up in the atmosphere, and it injured like a thousand people because it blew out all the windows in this town in Russia. And that and that uh, asteroid uh, that turned into a meteor and uh, detonated in the upper atmosphere was just a big sonic boom was about the size of a bus uh, coming in. So there's lots of stuff like that that hits the atmosphere, but depending on its angle, depending on where it is, we don't see it, we don't hear it. Uh, this one last week, they actually saw it going away. You know, they were looking and one of their automated cameras said, hey, that thing just, just, just left. And when they did its orbit, it missed the Earth by... 1600 miles i think it was very close um that's so, so if you were so 1600 miles if you're sitting here that's like, from here to new, new mexico yeah so if we're yeah. like sitting here looking i mean i'm assuming you could see it go right through the sky no? uh if well if if you do where to look yeah because they're not they're reflecting the light uh this one that missed us last week was uh they think 20 by 30 mm-hmm. feet like the size of a small ranch house you know mm-hmm. uh a small small ranch house and the the thing about its orbit was then they were tracking it back. They could look back in their cameras and see where it came from. And it was close enough to the Earth because they just they they weren't looking for it. It came through. People were taking pictures when they were looking at something else and they saw it. And it came through our our environment. And then as it was going away from us, we could see it. Um, and when they ran that orbit back, it missed us by sixteen hundred miles. And it was so close that the Earth's gravity changed its trajectory. It was going one direction. It was so close to us when it went around, it kind of slingshot around us and went back out. Um, and we never even knew it was here until it was gone. And it's not something to panic about. That was the big, that was the news story. It happened during the Democratic National Convention, so nobody paid attention to it. Uh, but they're like, yeah, you know, if this thing had hit us, it would have been a big fireball in the upper atmosphere. It wouldn't even have been as big as the, uh, the one that broke all the windows in Russia. But these things are out there all the time. Mm-hmm. And now... It's like social media. Stuff was happening all the time before social media, but now we get to hear about it all the time. Well, so, so Neil Wise, you said, is the actual. Mm-hmm. It's the the. It's a it's a system. Yeah. It's yeah, but it's that's what's used to find the comet. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the comet, the one that you and Scott went to look at. Yep. What made that one more popular? Why was that one one that we all knew about? Why were you guys chasing it versus these other three or four? Is it just because it was easier to see closer? Uh, yeah, it, it, the, yeah, it, it all added. It all uh, all the factors came together. It's it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, my friend David again. He he sits out. He has a small a, uh, a small telescope. He gets up at two a.m. He pans back and forth across the horizon toward the sun, uh, three degrees at a time which is like the width of your pinky finger held out at arm's length. And so he'll put his telescope into a piece of the sky and he'll pan back and forth and he'll look for something that doesn't belong there. He's basically memorizing the sky. Uh, And when he was doing the comet hunting with uh, Eugene and Carolyn Schumacher, they were taking pictures of the sky, like a minute apart. They would aim at the same part of the sky. They take pictures a minute apart and then they put them in something called the flash comparator where they would run the images back and forth and whatever star moved between the two images, that was something that was moving. And then they would look at it closer and see if it was a comet mm-hmm. uh, or, or an asteroid or something else. Um, and so that, 
that very rigorous. You know, they would spend thousands of hours and, and, and stacks of plates of film and stuff. And now a computer can do that in a second. So, uh, so Neowise is a computerized system that does that. It's the same thing that they were doing for 30 years. And that's why it's seeing six, eight comets a year. Um, so why was it called Neowise then? Uh, well, it's near-Earth orbit. Well, I mean, uh, sorry, why, why was yeah. this comet called Neowise? That was a system. Because uh, that's the Or is news, it like a layman's the news, Yeah, the news media said, ooh, comet Neowise. Uh, it was uh, C2020F3, I believe. So that that was its official designation. And so they, Comet 2020, and I'm assuming F3 is some rating F3 system? F3 is, is, yeah, it's a rating system for, for where it was. Um, like a and, tornado, almost like a... Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's that same kind of thing. We won't say that, that because then told, people yes. think it's going to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, and that's, uh, Assassin was the same way, uh, and I can't remember the acronym for that. It was do, just stupid. Do uh, you but, remember 1997, Hill Bop? Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. Like, how close was Hill Bop? Because I have... Closer, mm-hmm. right? The Neil uh, I don't think it was closer. I, so I, the yeah. the reason I have a very, very, very vivid memory mm-hmm. where, so 1997, I can, I was, I think this took place like around May or June. Mm-hmm. I yep. could be wrong on the time. No, you're right. Spring Comet, yeah. Okay, so I just remember as a little kid, walked out of, was going to school in Chasey. I mm-hmm. remember we went to Open Swim. Mm-hmm. And you know, just it was like yep. they have a pool, and they a couple of nights a week you go swim. So we were leaving, and I remember walking out with my mom, and my mom was actually a science teacher, mm-hmm. so she for thirty plus years. Nice. So I remember walking out and looked up. My mom's kind of the same one. She sends us if there's space stuff, she'll send like check tonight, meteor shower and <laughs> yep. stuff. And she's, she's one of those. <laughs> I do that too. So yeah, so I I, I appreciate it. So if you're sending text, text me because I like okay. that stuff. But mm-hmm. it's it's uh, I don't know if I'll be able to see it, but I I will definitely yeah. go out and make an attempt to look because yeah. I love that stuff. So. Um, so we go walking out and of course you got to think June, like mm-hmm. close to the longest day of the year. So I remember walking out, it was about seven, seven thirty at mm-hmm. night and it, you looked up in the sky. Obviously yep. it's, it's not much darker than what we see now. I mean, it was darker, but you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's still pretty light out. Yep. And I remember just seeing it going across the sky and you could still, I mean, you could see it moving. It seemed like it was moving. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, yep. it wasn't, it wasn't something that was like hit fly by like this it was mm-hmm. like a shooting star, but you could just see, you could definitely see it moving and you could see the, the, the mass or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you'd see the tail. Yep. Clear as day. Yeah. But like, I mean, I was a little kid looking up. And like, I still, it's like when you talk about like a vivid memory, like that was a vivid memory. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see that through an old <laughs> photograph. I didn't see that from like someone telling me. I remember vividly looking up and seeing this. So how close was that to us? Because hmm. again, we're talking 90, I was seven, right, eight right. years old. I no, don't I get really you. have a great memory of it. I but get you. The memory is very vivid in my mind, meaning it was close enough that I could see with my naked eye just right. in the sky. Right. Well, for comets, it's a and matter it of its look size. Small. No, like it, it looked very big. Yeah. At the time. And well, for comets, it's a matter of size. The size of the object. There's a lot of things that go into play, but the larger the ball of snow, the larger the dirty snowball that comes in from the Oort cloud or comes in from outside uh, the, the main solar system, the larger that is, the more material that can be blown off of it by the solar wind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you were seeing, cause it was in the Northern, whoops, sorry. It was in the Northern hemisphere. So the light coming from the sun in June is kind of shooting over the pole to mm-hmm. us here. Right. Uh, cause there's always that little day glow of the sun going over the horizon. So Hale, uh, Hale Bop was in a position where the sun was hitting it and it was coming off to you at a good angle. Uh, it's like when you see, uh, satellites, Mm-hmm. at night here uh it'll be going along and all of a sudden it'll just disappear and it's because the sunlight isn't bouncing from it to you again ah. uh, and there's a, lo- a lot i'm sorry guys a lot of this podcast love, is us using our hands I so lo- oh yeah <laughs> I, I love this stuff and yeah the the uh okay so 
Neowise just happened to be where we could see it in the Northern Hemisphere, where a lot of people could see it at a time of year where the light from the sun was hitting it in the right way for us to see it. Um, and it just, nobody knew, nobody knows what comets are going to be like. We had a one earlier this year that broke up. Somebody was talking about it the other night on uh, the comments, our Comet Watch. Uh, it's a, a Facebook page talking about how they had gone out and found pieces of this comet that broke up earlier in this in the year that was supposed to be a big comet. Its nucleus was the, the part that was shooting the gas off into the tail was larger than the Neowise F3. Um, but when it went around the sun, its orbit, it got so close that it broke into pieces. So it was this great comet in January, February. It went between us and the sun, so we couldn't see it anymore. And it came out of the other side of its orbit in, in chunks, like a shotgun. Um, and so it stopped being a comet. It started being a cloud of debris. So this would have been something you had been tracking. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you were like looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, the, the guys in Arizona had seen it because they came in from kind of the south of the planet. And the, the guys in Arizona and down in the southern uh, South America were seeing it. And they're like, oh, wait till you see this thing. Wait till you see this. We're getting great pictures from Australia. And then it went around the sun and nothing. <laughs> and, and it happened like three times in the last year where we were like, come on, come on. We want to see this thing. So, and, so you'll see multiple comets a year. Uh, well, the people see what multiple comets in the year. In the Champlain Valley with our, our weather, we don't. The Neowise was just, it was a classic. Yeah, uh, you know, we saw seven or eight. We had seven or eight great mornings and nights where we could look oh, at. So it. you guys went out every morning. I, I tried to. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. Or I would I would wake up at three a.m. and and Scott would text me and say cloudy, and I'd go back to sleep because he'd look out his window and see that there were clouds. We weren't going to see anything. So. so so is this is this one where when all this is happening and like you guys are going out like it's three a.m. just because of the sunrise? Uh, yeah, that that's how we were going to be able to see, see the planet a little mm -hmm. bit more. Mm -hmm. um, so when you go like. Talk about planets, because obviously planets don't flicker. Stars flicker. Right. Planets don't so Well, the stars don't flicker either. They, the atmosphere, the light coming through the atmosphere makes it flicker. Now, the other thing is if you take... Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. So the other thing was the other... We were looking for the uh, the comet. Mm -hmm. The International Space Station. Yep. That's only... Is this true that that's only like 200 miles away? Yeah. Yeah, 200, 250 miles, depending on where it is in its orbit. Yeah. So is it also true that that thing will jet across the sky yeah. fast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when I was looking up, of course, me and my wife were out there and we're looking at this thing and it just like, whoop, it goes across the sky. Yeah. And we weren't sure until I realized, and I, I sh we didn't know then, I, this was like weeks after. I was like, mm -hmm. I think that was the ISS. Mm -hmm. And it, it go like fast too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, whoop, it's, right some people say that's an airplane, but the, the ISS moves like nothing else in the sky because it's big and it's low and it's fast. Uh, so you think it's an airplane and then all of a sudden it's kicking along. Uh, it, it, it sticks out. And so, once you see it, you'll always see it. So the other question, mm -hmm. when someone launches, because a couple yep. months ago when, yep. when SpaceX sent up the two yeah. astronauts, yep. when they went up to the International Space Station, right? Mm -hmm. How long does it take them to travel that 200 miles? It was, uh, they did two and a half orbits. Um, it was funny. There were some guys in New Jersey that were trying to see it, and we had partial clouds. I was able to you're see you're it. You're trying to see the spaceship. Trying to see the actual spaceship going up. Yep. And I wow. think it was two and a half rotations. The space station does an orbit every 90 minutes. That's how fast it's moving. It goes all the way around the planet every 90 minutes. Um, wow. And it shows up in a different place in our sky because our planet is moving while the space station is moving. So it's kind of... Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. It's 90 it's, minutes? Yeah. It's like you and your buddy are running toward a pop fly. 
right? And you kind of see your buddies moving and you see the pop flies moving and then all of a sudden you guys run into each other. Yeah. That's kind of what seeing the space station is like. And uh, yeah, so every 90 minutes, minutes 93 minutes or something like that, they get a sunrise every every 45 or 50 minutes, I guess. Uh, they're just, they're kicking right along. And uh, in order for the rocket to get there, uh, they shoot in front of where the space station is and then they wrap around the earth once or twice, I think, before they get to it. So we saw... In the evening, we saw wait, the wait, space wait, station. Sorry, say that again. Mm-hmm. So the, the spaceship goes up. Yep. They go around twice. When you say orbit twice. Yeah. Or orbiting is going around the planet, going around the thing you're or, you're circling twice. But if it goes, are you talking about the spaceship? No, the the spaceship. space station is going, and then the spaceship has to do the same thing because the space station has the ship has to get to where the station is. It's 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 so super the, confusing. Yeah, this is like a mind <laughs> trip right yep. now. Okay, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm mm-hmm. loosely following that, yeah. but yeah. yeah. It's more of I have to wrap my head around it, but yeah. You're the you're the wide receiver, yeah. right? I don't know if you played football. The football, I, I know enough, yeah, yeah. The football is coming to you. That's the wide receiver is the is the dra- is the dragon. Uh, the quarterback is Cape Canaveral. Uh, now nah, that's no good. Uh, the the wide receiver is the dragon, and then the football comes to where dragon is going to be, and that's, and that's how they meet up. Yeah, the ISS. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's and that's how they meet up. Orbital mechanics is a trip. Uh, <laughs> you know how this stuff because it's 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 really it's mind boggling, and I can't talk about it without using my hands. So, so uh, you're very passionate. You know, so people are around. over here, and it is really <laughs> fists, hands. Mm-hmm. Sh- sh- uh, it was like the Milky Way. We got yeah, the shifts of the hands. hands. We get a uh, lot of uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying uh, really hard not to spit, you know, because you're doing because good. We, COVID, we actually wipe so. everything down. So okay, you're good. good. Yeah, you're good. So, but the, the uh, so the the idea. Okay, so. When it goes up to two, the, partly mm-hmm. it doesn't like, obviously you're like 200 miles. Like I can drive to, you know, yeah. Newburgh, which is probably yeah. 200 miles, something yeah. like that. And mm-hmm. you know, like three and a half, four hours. Mm-hmm. So, but it takes so long because of the orbit. Yeah. Yeah. You want to make sure you're, you're meeting up at the point where your speed and their speed are the same. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, there's, there's all sorts of great tutorials on this on YouTube. So, uh, <laughs> so like when it, when a spaceship goes mm-hmm. up into the sky, mm-hmm. is there a brake system on it? Or are they just kind of like going, uh, are you, they're steering a little bit, I'm assuming. Or well, they're no? always, they're, yeah, the, the dragon is always speeding up, uh, as it's going up to get to the place where the space station is. It has to, so that's part of its launch is that it's, it keeps accelerating. And the faster you go, the further out from the planet you orbit. So that, it, that's yeah. kind of your brake system. Yeah, and if yeah, so yeah, you, you're not braking. You're not braking. You're just ending up in the place where say, you want to yeah, be. You're not, yeah, you yeah. just got to make sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so really, when they come together, they there's a there's a point that has to happen. Yeah, and then they, they there is some maneuvering involved there. They do have jets that allow them to maneuver to the space station. Then it reaches out and grabs them. I guess with a cannon arm, it reaches out with something and pulls them in. It's it's amazing. So, it's amazing. So so. Two questions mm-hmm. I have just to make sure because I want to get the uh, ask these and these are very like layman like yep. and, uh, and these answers are my opinion they may not be correct this, but I'm certain so, okay no these are these, these are more like opinionated <laughs> sake they're there not, you go. not uh, <laughs> so the first one is what is your favorite space movie ah um, of all time because I've seen a few not okay. a ton but I've seen mm-hmm. a few and I want to see like which one you think is kind of a, a cool one yeah and then. My second thought, and we'll go into it after, is I want to talk to you about like SpaceX, Elon Musk, and sure. Stuff. Oh, so, I, okay, cool. Okay, so they're easy one. They're uh, like yeah, a, yeah, you yeah, say what you want. Easy so, one. Do, do the space one first, like okay. the movie. So, like, which is your favorite space movie? Why? What? And, and, and I say favorite. Like, you can go from a because you got a theater background. Mm-hmm. You obviously love you know astronomy. Oh yeah, is it astronomy? Ast- uh, I, astronomy I, is what we do. We look at the stars. Astronomy. What's the other astro astrophysics? Then you're you, that's the orbital mechanics. That's the math. So you version. like all this astro yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you have that. You have the theater. So like, which one from a movie standpoint is your favorite movie in a sense of 
hmm. from a pure entertainment perspective, oh, okay. and then which ones I, you think from a, a scientific wow. like accuracy one? Wow. And it could be the same. Uh, oh, they're definitely not the same. Okay, because probably my fam- my favorite most recent space movie is uh, would have to be Interstellar. Okay, with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, and it makes me laugh a lot, and it makes every astrophysicist I know angry uh, because they're they're like, that's not science, or or two people believe the science and other two people don't. Um, Wallace and Gromit uh, take a holiday. They're they're the claymation figures. That's that's probably my favorite watch all the time space movie because they they build a ship and they go to the moon to get moon cheese. Uh, That's fun. Uh, Interstellar, I love Interstellar because... Uh, they manage in the course of the movie to equate gravity to love to gravity, right? Okay. The love a person has for somebody is able to affect the primal forces of nature and bring them back from the black hole. Uh, so, okay. uh, and my kids are like, Dad, you're weird. And I was like, Yeah, I'm weird. That's my favorite movie. Um, you know, everybody. But, but obviously, this is just that was a fictional like storyline. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and the math isn't even very good according to the astrophysicists that that I know. They're like, Oh, that's stupid. And I was like, No, it's, I think that there's only one thing wrong with with gra- or with uh, interstellar, and that's the the waves on the planet are should be moving faster, and then they all start yelling at me about this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. It's like it was an entertaining movie. Yeah, yeah. And Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, um. What was the other question? And then which one is the most scientifically accurate? Oh gosh, I don't know. Um. Or that uh, you found and like, wow, that actually someone they someone did their homework. Well, on Apollo this. thirteen was a brilliant piece of film. Yeah, uh, Apollo thirteen was absolutely well, from the science. Uh, perspective yeah, absolutely. The okay. Yeah, they nailed it, and it was a good movie. Uh, a great they, movie. They nailed yes. it right down. And the computing power in my cell phone uh, was Tom Hanks in that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I couldn't remember Tom Hanks. Tom Kevin Hanks. Bacon, Gary and... Sinise. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Uh, Wait, who was the third guy? Uh, Gary Sinise was on yeah, the ground. Yep, yep. He was the one yep. who was sick, so he couldn't go, and yep. he solves the problems. Yep. But my my smartphone has more computing power and more energy than they had in that entire space that's, capsule to get those guys back well, and yeah. that's you know yeah. another that, mind-blowing thing yeah the 1960s you know the the hidden figures the women the who are the calculators you know, the movie just came out about all the african-american women who okay. were doing the actual math calculations oh, before the orbital mechanics yeah that's really? yeah okay. oh yeah it's there, there's the number of stories and it was all because a president said we're going to do this which was Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. And made it happen. Yeah. Uh, and then Johnson, you know, carried on with his work. But, you know, it's it's a little different from a president saying, we're going to do this now. And that's all the politics I'm going to talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. and that, We I pulled mean, it off, so we'll give yeah, him credit. Yeah. yeah. And and I was, I was a young kid for Apollo 13. I didn't, uh, I think I was nine years old. When it actually happened, but Apollo, th- what was the one that went on the on the moon? Uh, Apollo eleven was the 11, first one. Okay, yeah, yep. it was eleven. Yep, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Michael yep. Collins. Yeah, these guys were all heroes when yeah. I was a kid growing up. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, it just that uh, that whole mindset of we're going to do this thing no matter what. We could afford to do it. Yeah. Then because we had this huge complex that was developing computers and weapons and everything else, um, your average calculator has more computing power than that than that. Which space capsule did probably the one on my phone yeah yeah oh definitely the the one on your phone this phone has as much computing power as all the computers in the uh, space shuttle it had five computers to run the space shuttle and that phone could do it all so it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy so, so you think okay so apollo 13 you think mm-hmm. is the most scientific yeah accurate. absolutely what mm-hmm. did you and it, again from a movie perspective i remember watching gravity mm-hmm. back in the day yep I don't remember a lot. That was Sandra Bullock. I did not George see Gravity. 
My okay. my son saw Gravity at a birthday party, and he says, "Ugh." Well, well, the thing is, like, I don't remember the movie that well, but the thing I do like about Gravity visually, it was mm-hmm. cool, like visual yeah. effects and yeah. like clear. Like, wow, that was the other one that I really enjoyed, and I don't know how accurate it is. I thought The Martian was phenomenal. Yeah, with Matt Damon, I, I love that, and book. I love Matt Damon. He's yeah. a great actor, and I, I just, mm-hmm. but again, I don't. It the cool thing about The Martian, it kind of was like it reminded me of. Apollo thirteen mm-hmm. meets Castaway. Yeah, exactly. A beautiful blend. <laughs> I think that was the. I think that was the brief the, when they did it. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was I mean, like, but it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. But then when I realized how long it takes to get to Mars, and then mm-hmm. like at one point they're like going back, and like, we're just going to turn the ship around and go. I'm like, you can't happen. You, you, like, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think you could do to get that the was supplies the to go back and then go back. And I did, in, but, in the movie, did they talk about the the crew of the rescue ship eating each other? Because that's that's a thing in the book where they're going and they're like, in order for us to go back and get him, some of us have to die. Really? Yeah, and, and so I didn't. So I have the book on audiobook, but I haven't listened to it yet, and I, yeah. I would like to. But I don't if I'm remembering so. it correctly, that was part of the issue: is that some of us have to die, so there's enough life support for you to go and get him. So we have to decide who's going to do what here. Which is crazy. Yeah, I, I was like, see you, dude. You're like, yeah. you, you left. The, you're on Mars. Like, Sorry. figure it out. You'll be fine. <laughs> you're, you're the you're the atom of Mars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Um, <laughs> No, that's, that's that's a lot of people liked The Martian. A lot of a lot of my the friends who know this stuff they liked Gravity. Uh, my my son went for somebody's sixteenth birthday party. They rented the theater and they went to see this thing. And he said he almost threw up three times. Gravity, the, the, yeah, Gravity. Okay. The film was so you were weightless. But he's like, Dad, I can't listen to Sandra Bullock breathe. Even if she's in her underwear, I can't listen to her breathe for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what are we going to do here? Yeah. So that's, uh, <laughs> so that galaxy, yeah, was, was a great, I mean, it was, it was visually a good mm-hmm. movie. I don't know how yeah. like scientific or accurate it was. Um, now, the other one I was going to say was, um, like, what's your opinion of Elon Musk? Because obviously you got a guy here that this is all privatized, not, mm-hmm. um, not done through government, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, I may have this wrong, but NASA is obviously a government organization, yep. but that's yep. been the only real, Real, I guess, organization that's tried to go to space. Am I wrong? Right. On that? Uh, well, right. Yeah. Them and, and then uh, then the Soviet program and then the European Space Agency is doing stuff like now. Sputnik and stuff. Yeah. Japan, I think, just launched a, a mission to Mars. Um, and they just they just got back some material from the Hayabusa satellite that went to it landed on a comet and took some material off of a comet. I th- yeah. And uh, oh. and then it's coming back and it's going to drop that capsule into our atmosphere. It actually has pieces of the it comet. Has, it has material from that comet uh, in it that they're going to drop. It's amazing. And uh, so before they do that, you should watch The Andromeda Strain, which is another great science fiction space movie. Uh, Michael Crichton, who wrote Jurassic Park. Uh, what is it? The, and- it? the Andromeda Strain. He's spelling Andromeda. Uh, A-N-D-R-O-M-E-N-A. I had to think. Oh, Andromeda. 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 There's a D at the end. No, it's not N-A, it's D-A. Andromeda. Yeah, it's like the Andromeda galaxy. Train? Uh, strain. Oh, strain. strain. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a virus that comes back from interstellar space. And that's a movie. Uh, that's a movie. You bet. And it's also a book by Michael Crichton, who wrote Jurassic Park uh, from the late 70s. Uh, and that's worth, that's worth watching. Absolutely. So, so you'll wear your face mask every day after you watch the Andromeda Strain. <laughs> so, so if you're, yeah, so if, if, if you're, uh, so okay, so so back to um, mm-hmm. the Sorry. reason I say no, no, the reason I say Elon Musk is because mm-hmm. I, you know, I do I know a lot about him. No, I have his biography. I want to yeah. uh, read, um, but just obviously the stuff he's been able to accomplish. You know, I've listened to him on Rogan. I've listened to him in podcasts. I've listened sure. to him on, like I've watched interviews with him. Sure, like. Not all there, but all there kind of deal. Yeah. Like he's just, mm-hmm. I think, too smart for most yeah. people to comprehend. And yeah. I think he kind of knows that because when yeah. he talks to people, he's just like, <laughs> I, like your mind's 
mm-hmm. mind is this and his like I don't know. I think he's just this brilliant guy. But what, what's your thought on like the privatization of the SpaceX or SpaceX? But going to you know. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is going to be? Because obviously, like Jeff Bezos has yeah. done something. All these guys—they're like, yeah. all throwing money at it. Throw, yeah. yeah, and the idea about going and putting life form on Mars and having mm-hmm. that be like colonize Mars and and I mean, I drove a Tesla like a month ago, and Did those you? things are. <laughs> have you been in one? Uh, I haven't. One of my one of my Cub oh. Scout parents has one. Oh, uh, yeah. ride in one of those things. Yeah. Ride in one of those things, <laughs> and it's the guy I rode with said. Hit the gas. Yeah, there you go. They take. It's like you really feel like <laughs> it feels like I'm in the SpaceX machine, like nice, launching nice. off of Cape Canaveral. So, um, so what's your thoughts on Elon? Um, I I never met him. I know very little about him. Uh, I have a, a picture on my web browser at home of him when he was the chief of PayPal. Right, that was the yep. program. Yeah, that's where he made all of his money with bad hair. And yeah, so you look at the PayPal picture, and then you look at his picture now and his press photos, and that's kind of that. Uh, I, I wore a pocket protector in the 70s when I was a little kid. Keep the ink off my shirts. Oh, yeah. uh, so the pocket protector becomes, you know, n- nerds are cool. Uh, yeah. Geeks are chic. And uh, and he's definitely an example of that. Uh, if my dad was still alive, uh, he passed away about six years ago, and he taught me everything I know about the stars, everything I learned about the stars as a kid. Um, if he was alive, he, he would his favorite quote about things like this was, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Yeah. And he was a big fan of that. It's like, you know, yeah, so it seems like a good idea, but what's the payoff? And he always had me thinking about that the whole life. He was in law enforcement. He was a game warden. Uh, and just that was just kind of his thing. And for me, uh, the Starlink... When I first started hearing about Starlink, this is the uh, the low uh, orbiting constellation of cellular Wi-Fi satellites. The idea was to make uh, the internet available from everywhere on the planet. The outback, uh, Africa. You know, he was wanted to make the internet something for. Uh, something for everyone on the planet. So there would be no inequality uh, in information. You know, just because you can't afford cable doesn't mean you can't go online, which you write that out as a sentence and you say, absolutely, I believe in that. So so we're looking at it and as he's getting closer and closer to the launch date, um, a couple things start coming to light. And so first off, he has no oversight. He's a private company. Yeah. And what Starlink is, is every time he launches a Starlink rocket, uh, they, they call it the bus, the payload carrier for his rockets. It's the same rockets we see launch all the time. But on that rocket are 60 satellites about the size of a dorm refrigerator mm-hmm. that have a panel that's between 15 and 25 feet long that's solar panels that sticks up. And we're looking at the space station. The reason we can see the space station is because all the sunlight reflects off its solar panels. So he punches up 60 of these satellites. And... Uh, I was I, we were playing poker uh, up in the north end at a guy's house, and uh, we were all outside uh, during a break. And this very first Skylink train went overhead, and it looked like a train in the heavens. There were there were sixty objects there, little dots of light, all traveling together. Uh, there was an old computer game called Caterpillar. It looked, oh, like yeah. the, it looked like Caterpillar going across the sky, and it was bright. And we're looking at it like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then three weeks later, he launched another sixty. And now they've they've stopped. They don't even publicize it anymore. It's become so uh, so blasé. Um, the uh, the Starlink streams they go up, and over the course of like a week, ten days, they separate from that train that they're traveling in. They, with little bursts of of maneuvering fuel, they burst out into their orbit, and basically, it's going to be what's called a ball of yarn. There'll be a satellite overhead for you, some kind of a Starlink satellite every ten minutes. There's okay. there's going to be three or four in line of sight of you all the time, which is okay unless you're trying to look at a nebula 
<laughs> um, because uh, we were looking at uh, the Lagoon Nebula, which is down low in the south in the summertime. And uh, I, I timed it for 30 seconds. I said, I want to see what happens here. And I knew that there was going to be a Starlink train or two going through my image. So I was looking at it for 30 seconds and I counted 47 satellites in 30 seconds. Wow. There were one or two in my line of sight every time, every night and every second of that traverse. And that's, so that, that great, okay, we're going to have internet for everybody is terrific. But what it means is ultimately there could be 10,000 of these things up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, once people started to complain about them, uh, messing things up, uh, they said, okay, we'll paint the satellite itself black, which is great. It's not white anymore. It's dark, but the solar panels are still reflecting light. Uh, and so the thing is running around. Is it a good thing? Okay. Yeah. Like if I'm using a computer to process my imagery, I don't know if Scott does this. Um, but you can have a program now that will take out man-made artifacts. So if I'm taking a picture of the Orion Nebula and I, I have a two minute exposure, 37 satellites go through it. The computer will remove those 37 satellites from the picture Mm -hmm. to give you that clean image. Yep. But that stops being. You know, how do we, how do we start? We, I like the analog experience sitting and looking Yeah, and I can't take those satellites out of my brain. Um, am I on board? I don't know. Will it be nice if I can get a, a, a Wi-Fi signal if I don't miss the walking dead? Uh, you yeah. know, when I'm out camping or something, okay, you know, this, you gotta weigh the, the pros and cons. I don't think Starlink was a, a great idea. It was a great concept. I think there are different ways to do it. Um, and, but nobody's can stop him. You know, he just took, what was this, what was that car? $200,000 and he just shot it into space, (laughs) Uh, you know, for advertising, which looked really cool. You got some Bowie airtime there, you know, and it's still going. You can, there's an app, you can look up where the car is. It's still tracking its orbit. It's, it's going around. It has like a Mars earth. uh, It's like what happens to something like that. Uh, Well, it burns up. It goes, it goes until it, until it crashes into something or yeah, it's, it's, it's in a free falling orbit now. It's, it's doing what it's going to do. So you can be up there for millions yeah. of years. Certainly, certainly. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, that, it's okay. You know, yeah, eventually, yeah. anything that's in Earth orbit, eventually they they deorbit it. There's a place in the South Pacific. Uh, what do they call it? It's not the Elephant's Graveyard, but there's a spot in the in the South Pacific where the center of the circle there's no land for a thousand miles in any direction. It's just this gap, and it's they call it the satellite graveyard because when like the Soyuz, uh, the Mir space station, uh, when Skylab, when these uh, military satellites that are like the size of a bus, again, uh, when they run out of their useful life and they can't shoot them out into the sun, they can't shoot them away from Earth, they drop them in the ocean here. Um, so they and they're able to direct them they to that deorbit location? it. Yeah, they they get close to that spot. That's wow. why it's such a big spot. So they'll say, yeah, we're going to drop something next Tuesday. Nobody should be there. Um, and then they'll the satellite no, will come in. Yeah, and you're talking thousand miles each. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like ships, you know, they don't want ships to be there. They look for people that are sailing there, and and they're like, hey, you know, this is coming down. Uh, we're not sure exactly where it's going to land. Uh, and for me, I mean, my first thought is, I want to get a boat. And I want to go sit out there. It's like a meteor power party so to watch the satellite falling. I mean, in theory, you could be like mm-hmm. here, and I could fall in the lake, and you'd yeah. be fine. Yeah. It's not going to hit you. It's yeah. just like no, it's not going to. He says twenty by thirty, or whatever yeah. that might be. Yeah, and it's going to break up into little pieces. It's going to burn up in the atmosphere. It's going to be a meteor. Mm-hmm. But they do it that way because there are some things like the power plants, the batteries, and stuff that don't break up, mm-hmm. uh, and those are going to come down, and you don't want them to come down where people are. So. So when all the stuff hits the o- like hits it, does it go to the bottom of the ocean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a spot in the bottom of the ocean which is a bunch of just a bunch of junk. Yeah. Satellite meteor or not meteors, but satellites yeah. and just yeah, it's two or three thousand feet of water. Yeah. Sooner sooner or later, somebody will figure out a way to make it profitable to go down and get that stuff. 
sooner or later because because we're humans and yeah, it's we're, cheaper for me to get it from the bottom of the ocean than to make it myself so that's, that's wild <laughs> Everything about us getting off the ground is wild, you know, just right back to the Wright brothers who thought of well, this, you that's, know, that's the idea when you talk about like pressure going up and pressure going mm-hmm. down and wings and all yep. this stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, I mean, it's still the idea. Like you take, watch a plane go off and you're like, look at that thing. That's thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds just flying through the air like a bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's trippy. And we all rode on planes. Like we all know yep. that we've been on it and you just like, you take it for granted. But you're like, you're literally in the sky right now. I was. This is the thing that freaks me. You know, when you talk about like freaking out. When Don't like, think about it too when much. You're like, yeah, when you're sitting in your chair and you're like, you're like thinking like below me, like I don't know, twenty feet, maybe mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe like yeah. whatever that distance. Not is. Not even that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe less. I'm like, then it's just nothing for thirty thousand feet. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and I'm just like sitting up here. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not yep. gonna think about that. Let me put my movie back on and yep. zone out. But it, I think it's the idea that that's. It, it's just incredible because there's times you think like you overthink about it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, there's science to it. But again, I'm not the smartest guy when it yeah. comes to this stuff. But it's the idea you can appreciate it and say mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible. And we're what a little over a hundred years into it. Yeah. So you got to think technology back then, like they made it happen over a hundred years ago. <laughs> That's wild. Like now, mm-hmm. now, now. I mean, they've done it, but now like they're shooting stuff to Mars, which is yeah. like yeah, blows my mind. Yeah, that's the next step. They thought people lived on Mars, you know, a hundred years ago. So. Right, is I mean, that, that yeah, they, yeah, they, the, I mean, yeah, the Martian canals. They were looking at the the color gradations on Mars, and that's when uh, Percival Lowell uh, in Arizona thought that there were actual there were Mars canals. There was a civilization there. And how was, how many? Uh, obviously, there's the the whole moon conspiracy about did we ever land on the moon? <laughs> then yes, then there's, yes, we did. <laughs> then there's also like the whole the whole thing like like what was it? The flag can't float because there's no gravity. Yeah, and then yeah. there's also the thing with uh, the like, shadows. Well, I don't know which one's that. that. The shadows are they're like, how can we see him if he's in the shadow of the of the moon, or if he's in the shadow of the lander and he's coming down the ladder and he's lit up, and it's because the light is reflecting off of the lunar surface and hitting him. It's like the way we can see the dark side of the moon. Yeah, it's the light shining off of Earth and hitting the back side of the moon. So that's the whole thing. It's yeah, that's like, the whole thing. Well, I think you would see it no matter where you are on the moon. Yeah. we can't see the dark side of the moon, but if you yeah. go up to the moon and go to that side, I'm sure you yeah. can, right? Yeah. It's just a moon. Yeah. There was a picture taken of me just there, guys, and my face had a sneer on it. Just so you know, I, when people say we didn't go to the moon, I just automatically get a smear, a sneer. I try to have an open mind, but it's like, come on, guys. So then the other thing with like uh, when you talk about like aliens and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they obviously like this Area Fifty One, and like, mm-hmm. have you gone into the whole UFO phenomenon? Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, my my family was Army, Air Corps, Air Force. Uh, Navy pilots and the generations above me. Uh, and we're just kind of prosaic about it. An unidentified flying object is something you look at and you don't know what it is. You so, know? Wasn't it, so this was over, mm-hmm. I mean, 2020 has been like the wild, wild west. Like yeah. Anything's happened. And, so, <laughs> and it's not over yet. Did, did, yeah, exactly. Didn't they, uh, yeah, we're two thirds of the way through. So didn't mm-hmm. it, didn't um, something get released to, by the government that was like, yeah, there are, we did identify UFOs. Uh, yeah, like yeah. recently, but it was kind of like slipped in there, almost like everything else is going crazy. We're just yeah. going to slide this little piece of information. It's a good time to drop it. And that's right. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we well, got all this other we'll stuff. Have the going president on. say it. I, I didn't, I didn't see that particular stuff. I know that. Uh, um, remember a couple of years ago, a, a stuntman named Felix Baumgartner did the jump from space. Unreal, right? Absolutely unreal. So his this is when he was like sat there and just like yeah, dropped, just like, dropped away. <laughs> so his his crew chief that they were showing in the cameras was a guy named Kitlinger. I think he was the guy in 1946 that did that same thing. The, the project oh, yes, was, was called High Jump. Yes, yeah. he was trying to beat it. Yes. Yeah. And so they were testing getting back to the planet. They were testing parachutes and survival equipment. And he came down 
uh, his capsule when the because they're lifted by a balloon and the balloon bursts. That capsule came down by Roswell, New Mexico, and his pressure suit failed. They had to cut his helmet off of him because his head expanded up to almost twice its normal size because he was in a pressureless environment. So they're taking him into a hospital, oh, and if you see the you can see the pictures of it now. It's been declassified. Uh, he looks like what we call the gray aliens. And here's all this silvery, weird-looking crap with fabric flapping around it in the desert by Roswell, New Mexico. And somebody sees it and doesn't think about it. And, oh, that was a flying saucer. So you can explain anything So it was away. the same guy. Yeah. And yeah. So, so what they thought was an alien is actually this guy that... Could it, well, that's one theory. Oh, it was a theory. Gotcha. Some okay. people would say that I'm, I'm just a shill for the establishment because I'm making a reasonable explanation for what they saw yeah. in the hospital. We don't like you kind of... Yeah, right? we, yeah. we don't yeah. like, we don't like people like yeah, <laughs> Don't ruin our fun. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, do, are there things we don't understand? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I look at the, law, uh, the Champlain Sea Monster, right? Yeah. You know, champion. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, if you if you do a statistical analysis, if you want to be scientific, uh, put um, on the map every sighting that's ever been made of Champy and draw a one mile radius circle around it. Within that one mile radius circle, there will be a t- bar or tavern in every one of those sightings. <laughs> so I'm not saying that people were drunk and they saw something that wasn't there. I don't know. Uh, but you know, it's, I, I, and I don't want to be that guy where people are having fun and then they're like, oh, that idiot's going to make me feel bad about this. No, you know, yeah. I've seen deer swim across, uh, when we're on the ferry, you see deer swim across the lake all the time. Really? Yeah. And in the late summer, there's a little bit of a mirage effect and it, it looks like something with horns and humps behind it because you're not seeing, you're seeing a mirage effect. And so, yeah, it's, it's I've cool. I've never seen deer do that. That's cool. Yeah, deer do it, bear do it. Uh, there was a moose a couple of years ago that saw, swam across. I saw a bear going to Lake Placid the other day. First time yeah. I've ever seen a bear run across the road. In the woods? Yeah. yeah. It was like a yeah. little cub. Like and a lot of people would say bears don't exist here. Oh, uh, well, we saw it. <laughs> yeah, we Black saw it. Ran across the road. Yeah, it's a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an oversized raccoon. There you go. People out even more. There you go. Um, it, well, the, the Bumgarner thing, when he went, Bumgarner, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. when he was up, um, it was what, 2000, I remember this, 2012. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was October 2012. And yep. I, the only reason I remember it is because I had a wedding that day. Mm-hmm. I remember I sitting there and I was like, I watched the whole thing. Like, he just mm-hmm. like turned it up. Some weird channel had it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't Twitch, but it was. Uh, some like weird stream but it was on tv mm-hmm. and I was, yep. i'm just like i sat there and watched i mean he went up i don't know how long it took him to go up but it didn't take him long to come down mm-hmm. probably what under uh, 10 minutes yeah something yeah. like that and, mm-hmm. and he was like spinning like this because he had to like kind of like <laughs> he was i mean it was like you said he was just like nothing he yeah. was in no man's land mm-hmm. but when he was going all the way up and you're like what, like just what's gonna happen and then the, then the whole the satellite whatever he was in dropped mm-hmm. down too right yeah mm-hmm. but yeah it was just that like that scene because they had the camera right behind him and when he just like jumped and you're just like yep this guy's nuts. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the I, last thing he said was, I'm going home. And he stepped out. Yeah. And to then, go back to the planet. <laughs> and when you're just like, like, I don't, because you got to think the guys that go up in the, the space station, obviously it's a very cool experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I, I'd I, love I, to do I, that. I don't, I, just, I don't even got to like, <laughs> yes, I'd love to do it. It's like, I think I would, yes, like anybody else would love to do it. The odds that you go up are slim to, I mean, there's only mm-hmm. so many people that have actually gone up in the space. Right. But it's the whole idea of like, just that experience of like looking down and seeing the planet it's got to be trippy. Yeah. And then for this guy, just to jump out and be like, I'm just going <laughs> to jump down there. Cause you can like realistically, when you're that high up, how much of the planet is considered a target for you to land? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, really, I can just like turn my pair. I mean, obviously at a certain point you had a parachute, mm-hmm. but like, you probably could end up thousands of miles away yeah. if you're just sort of like, yeah, they had helicopters waiting for him. Yeah. Which, 
I mean, he and he landed pretty damn good. Yeah, like, yeah. I want to land on that spot on the thing, and he got down there. I'm like, this is wild. And That's it, where the cameras are. <laughs> yeah, and then he basically just landed and walked. I'm like, mm-hmm. like where'd you come from? I just fell from space. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, well, good for you. Yeah, um, don't mind me. She's <laughs> wild. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, j- just because. T- more time-wise, not anything else. This yeah, is, no I can worries. listen to this. We're we going to have you back on, and you can tell. I'm sure you okay. can tell. Yeah. You do a good job talking. We'll so get Scott good. on. We'll get Hannah on. We'll get, we'll get everybody on here. We'll, you know, Hannah, we'll make it happen. Hannah will have a lot of eye rolling. We, we love <laughs> Hannah, though. She's, I always tell her, she, uh, she, we gave out the Cavi Awards. Mm-hmm. You, you ever watch The Office? Yeah. So the Dundies. So we got yep. Cavi Awards, which I actually, when I got the Cavi Award, I called up Lorman's and I said, listen, I need an award. <laughs> I need the worst award you can come up with because this is kind of like. Right. Know, you know the butt of the joke so needless to say butt of the joke we end up getting a horse's ass as the trophy so i have a mm-hmm. couple of them up there but a legit is one they found down and he's like i got the perfect i was talking to a <laughs> to ross there and i'm thinking like i don't know a bowling trophy give me yeah. like the dundee's just a guy with like a briefcase yeah. he said give me anything <laughs> so he literally gives me the backside of a horse so i'm like this is oh yeah that's up go. there the cavies <laughs> oh yeah the cavies so uh, <laughs> The reason I say it is Hannah got the cavi for the best eye roll. So mm-hmm. nice. Par- partly at my, I guess, at me. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's it, the thought it, that counts. It's right? it. Yeah, it's it. At least absolutely. I know that that it, that. Uh, yeah, it's, I've I've gotten that level of comfort where she can just roll mm-hmm. her eyes at me and not think twice. So, yep. um, but yeah, I, I will probably get you and Scott back on because I'm sure. Yeah, cool. Because because Scott, I mean, this is fun. Scott's one of my favorite. Like, yeah. I, the, the, the amount of stuff that guy does just blows my mind. And I had yeah. Scott's also. To this day, mm-hmm. has the longest running podcast that we ever did. Really? Because, and I think he'll vouch for this, and I might just partly because I'm terrible at doing this. He came on late at night, probably came on at like six o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking we're going to go a couple hours, six to eight, eight thirty. So we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. I'm like looking up at the clock. I'm like, oh, we got some time. Well, the clock had moved <laughs> back, I think. No, right. move forward. Sorry, move forward or whatever the, 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 the time, time frame change. Was. Time change. <laughs> I am the worst because the, the clock is above my reach and I have right. to get a chair. And obviously, that's a lot of work to get a chair and change the clock. So I, I procrastinate on that for, mm-hmm. could be anywhere from a couple days to six months. So, nice. Nice. so then, so then, uh, so we were looking up and I wasn't like, I, I don't have my phone on me. So, so at the mm-hmm. desk, so we weren't really checking stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, and I wasn't looking at this because I can see like how long we've been talking. So right. I'm not paying attention. I'm like, ah, time's good, time's good. And he goes, I looked down, I'm like, it's three hours and 40 minutes, <laughs> three hours and 40, almost double what we talked. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, we checked the phone. I'm like, Oh crap. Cause both yeah. of us obviously had told our wives we'd be home much earlier yeah. than we had. And, uh, but it was the same thing. Your wives like, are very understanding. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and both named Gina, by the yep, way. I know. Um, so, so then, so the, the whole, <laughs> this whole thing is happening. And my favorite line about Scott, this, and Scott, Scott, I think has listened to a few. I mean, he's been on him, but he's listened mm-hmm. to a couple. So I'm sure you might listen to this. If Scott, Hello, if you've made it this far. So, but the the whole the whole we're sitting there and he's. <laughs> Why aren't you here? Yeah, exactly. So he's sitting there and he's telling me the story, and in true Scott fashion, goes through the whole story. And he goes, "Oh yeah, so, so um, I did that, but I, I was an instructor to jump out of planes or something like that." And yeah. then he went right into something different. I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold the fuck!" I said, <laughs> "Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Wait, you jumped out of planes?" He goes, "Yeah, like I don't know how many, a couple hundred times, jumped out of the plane. I was a plane instructor in Italy." And I'm like, well, "Wait." And, uh, and for most people, that would be like a highlight, a big talking point. Mm-hmm. In Scott Brightwell's life, that was just something. We, that was just like an end to. That was like a. That was like a. A little transition mm-hmm. to the to the the other story he wanted to tell. Right. Like, Wait, let's talk about this. So it was three hours and forty minutes of just randomness that I think there's some mutual friends of ours that basically. I, I think it was uh, might have been Paul D. Dominicus. Yeah, I think <laughs> and he Willow. Said, yeah. I think yes, Paul and Willow, and I think his daughter. 
I think it's his daughter, Paul's daughter, or mm-hmm. no, no, sorry, yes, no, Paul's daughter that said about Scott, mm-hmm. I want to try to do something that Scott has not done. And I, I think That's just tough. the idea of finding something that he has not done is tough. That's so, a game show, yeah. I, I think Scott could be on his own game show. I think Scott's got enough. Scott's one of the, like you said, mm-hmm. like I'm, when you say like I'm jack of all trades, master of none, Scott mm-hmm. is like I'm a master of a lot of things. Yeah. And really like, I mean, maybe a master of one, but he masters a lot of stuff. And then you're like, I don't know if he gets bored or whatever. He's like, I'm just going to go get really good at that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. He's a master going for whatever he wants to go for. Yeah. He just, if he's like, I need to do that. And he does it. It's amazing. Yeah. We should, you should do a, a Scott Brightwell cast sometime. Just bring on people that know Scott. And have him tell Scott stories. It's kind of like an opposite <laughs> of a Scott Rose. Yeah, I, Scott, yeah, I like, think he is. I think he's going to be listening to us. He says he can't make it. He's wrapping up quarantine from his trip, so he can't leave. You know, he's doing that thing. We'll, we'll get him, we'll get you guys both on because okay. originally I wanted both of you, and then I mm-hmm. sent you because he was gone. So I was like, I don't know where Scott. That's is awesome. Now. Scott's like one of the world's is Scott Brightwell right now. But, <laughs> um, no, Scott's Scott's great. He's one of the most incredible people I know, just mm-hmm. from the vast knowledge of um, yep. many different topics. That's Scott Brightwell. Scott Brightwell. Yeah, look him up. He's a phen- phenomenal photographer too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, Ed, we're gonna end there. Great. We'll get you back on that. We'll get you with Scott. No worries. This is fun. First time I've ever done this. Yeah, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. happy because you said yeah. you listen to podcasts. But yeah. it's, mm-hmm. you 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 hit the ground running. Some people get a little nervous, and then mm-hmm. I, I see this. Uh, you know, you know, you talk for like two hours. Usually, the first like 10, 15 minutes is kind of like I'm nervous, and then yeah. you start people get in their groove. Like you hit your groove right off, so yeah. I wasn't too worried. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna end there. Awesome. Um, Ed Gunther, everybody, he is uh, fantastic. If you see him out and about, he's the guy with the the, uh, the telescopes luring you in to look <laughs> at his right. telescope. But, the uh, voice in the darkness. But yeah, so hey, if, it, look at this. if he sounds like this guy and he has a telescope, <laughs> it's okay. Go look, take a look, enjoy mm-hmm. it. It's all cool at the star party. Yeah, right? Absolutely. All you right. bet. Thanks, Perfect. Galen. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.